Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yeah. How you doing? Um, I've I, I reached a breaking point with these trailers. Oh, okay. I'm so sick of them. Okay. For the first time... Jumping like, right in. Man, I'm not ready for this. Because uh, we've got a lot of stuff to get to and I want to get out of here early. I've got reviews to write when I get home tonight. Okay. Um, uh, you know, I, I generally avoid trailers on the internet, but I always... My feeling was if I'm at a movie... And they're going to show trailers like I'm just going to have to see those trailers. Mm-hmm. But for the first time, I did the thing of about halfway through a trailer, just plugged my ears and looked away. Really? Yes. Because I felt like halfway, about a minute and 15 seconds into the Born Legacy trailer, okay. I felt like I was watching the whole movie. And it was really pissing me off. Now, I, have, I don't think I've seen the trailer... I think I've seen a trailer for it, but I don't think it's the, like, you know, two-minute, uh, two-and-a-half-minute trailer. Yeah. Um, and I'll bet, off the top of my head, having not seen it, I'll bet the reason they're giving so much of it away is because they really want to convince you that this is just as good as Matt Damon. Like, <laughs> right. I could see it being that. That, like, yeah. no, no, it's like the other ones. Look, see, here's this. Here's another thing. Like, I could yeah. see it being yeah. that. Here's uh, a, sh- <laughs> like... A scene from the Bourne Ultimatum, apparently, <laughs> or more than one, actually, you know, and like shots of um, the uh, like Jason Bourne's fake ID, like actually, like Matt Damon's face is in the trailer. Yeah, that's weird. Like, it's that it doesn't. I mean, every once in a while, you can just really smell the studio mechanism coming off <laughs> the screen, and uh, that seems like an, a good example. But I don't know. Have you ever looked away from a? Uh, a, tra- a trailer a you know i i know i should uh-huh. but it doesn't i don't process right away what is happening it's usually after the trailer's over that i think like hey wait a second did i just i think i just saw a huge bit like uh-huh. um i know one that i wish uh i wish had not given more had not given everything away not everything but like uh i remember the history of violence trailer like strictly speaking is if you watch the movie itself Mm -hmm. there's no real reason to think that this guy is this person you know that he actually has this past he could just be i mean admittedly there's the title (laughs) but uh but who knows you know it it could just be a guy falsely accused and nobody's and the 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 guys who want to kill him aren't listening to what he has to say and he just it doesn't matter really if he is this person or not he still has to defend his family like that's kind of an intriguing story but then i believe the trailer basically just says yes this is what it is uh and i the trailer uh, for compliance by the way a movie i love kind of does it too i haven't watched that trailer good for you i'll try to avoid um and here's the thing i've always been a guy who insists like spoilers don't ruin a movie and I don't think they do. I mean, I knew the twist in Sixth Sense before I ever saw it and it didn't okay. ruin it for me. Um, and I don't think they do ruin a movie. I, I still don't, like, go seeking them out, you know, and I don't like the idea of them telling me the whole story. But this reminds me of another thing I, I was telling you uh, just last night um, that I finally, you know, four years after the fact, finally sat down and watched Burn After Reading. Mm-hmm. It does not have a great reputation, so I had not, it had not been on my, you know, to-do list. Right. Uh, but I watched it the other night, and I rather liked it. Mm-hmm. That said, there's a there's a moment I, I will main, I will remain spoiler free here, right? For those who haven't seen it, but there's a moment uh, about an hour in that is a big shocking moment. But 
I don't even know why I'm staying spoiler free because I think within the film community it's become so much a part of the lexicon this scene to the point where I only I not only knew what happened I'd seen it in like animated gifs I knew like mm. I'd I knew I, well, exactly what was going to happen. By the and, time I saw it, which was pretty early, uh-huh. I knew what happened, but I, I didn't did. know how. And then I saw how, and I'm like, ah, yeah, that's I, horrible. I, yeah, I, do, I did find myself wishing that I could have been as surprised by that as someone who had seen it opening night. Because I, I can't imagine... Nobody expects my, that, right? <laughs> it, no, it's a very <laughs> unexpected thing. So yeah, if you, by some chance, don't know what I'm talking about, go watch Burn After Reading right now before you get spoiled for it. Because yeah. it's a, yeah, it, it's, it's pretty surprising. Anyway. You know, I think, as far as trailers with spoilers and spoilers in general, they don't necessarily bother me either. Um, and I know that there are probably people who listen to the show and maybe you and I let a few too many things slip, uh, in the midst of conversation because I think we I'm don't, pretty careful because I, I, uh, I try to be careful, but that's the thing is who knows? I think what, you did technically just spoil history of violence a couple minutes ago. It's seven years old <laughs> right, I at know, this point, I know. <laughs> you know, um, but, uh, but that's the thing is, is even, even, when we were spoiler-free on last week's episode, and Pat started the conversation speculating just about the franchise. Uh-huh. And even that speculation, people could view as a spoiler for the film. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And so, like, so, first off, the term spoiler could mean any number of things. And so you and I could try to sp- stay spoiler-free and then and still accidentally even just talking about the tone of a film might actually let something slip um, that we're unaware of. But the th- in in my opinion, like it all depends on how it comes out. If it if if a spoiler comes out in the midst of a major thematic discussion of the film, mm-hmm. and that spoiler is somewhat pivotal to that discussion being as comprehensive as possible, so be it. If that spoiler is put out there because right. the studio thinks you need to know this in order to see it, <laughs> right? Then that's a, that's quite that. a different thing. But we still try to give warnings. Yeah, absolutely. On the show. Yeah. I, I'm pretty careful about it. Yeah. Because I know that even though I'm not a huge stickler for spoilers, I know that a, a good portion of our audience is, and I try to respect that. Yeah. The spoiler, by the way, from History of Violence that he's talking about is Maria Bello jumps out of a closet and gets shot in the head. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's what happens in so. History of Violence. <laughs> um, so. Uh, that's a special film yeah, joke. Yeah. Um, let's. Uh, we want to. Speaking of The Dark Knight Rises, we have uh, a big uh, topic to get to, mm-hmm. um, but first we want to get some other stuff. Uh, I was going to say out of the way, but actually I'm really excited about this first thing. Okay. It was your idea. Yeah. We've, uh, you know, uh, eagle-eyed website readers have already noticed it going into effect. Yeah. That's, um, that's very eagle-eyed, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but we're going to start doing a thing slowly at first, and then maybe we'll do more of it, and maybe even start its own podcast feed, mm-hmm. uh, but they will be available on on the website uh, uh audio readings of some of our reviews yes uh, uh, you know that you can you know i a lot, i listen to a lot of podcasts at work mm-hmm. um and then on a couple of my breaks maybe i'll go to some of my favorite sites and read reviews or articles yes you know but i i do a lot more listening than i do reading yes and that is the case with me i work mm-hmm. from home but what i do is i it's all Visual and so my ears are free to do what I need to do. Right, and so I uh, I listen to the, and there is a, a website that actually ha- assigns like people to read notable articles from like political websites mm. and stuff. And so it's just like, oh, that's great. I, these articles interest me, but I don't have the time to read them. And so that's where that's where the idea came from. So 
uh, yeah, so um, now, you know, like I said, we'll start slow and see what the reaction is. But uh, for the time being, you can probably once a week, maybe twice a week, mm. uh, listen to reviews. And now I know what you're thinking, uh, that I that I tend to mumble a lot, and you already spend two hours a week, uh, hopefully not always two hours, but uh, you already spend at least an hour a week listening to me uh you know mumble extemporaneously mm-hmm. why should i mumble something that was written <laughs> more carefully right it's not gonna be me it's also not gonna be you d- despite the fact that you have a beautiful voice thank you oh a, oh, a beautiful, beautiful i wasn't expecting but okay thank you <laughs> um but uh no these will be read by our good friend uh friend of the show and contributor you know writer for the website yeah uh dr west anthony Indeed, absolutely. <laughs> That's yeah. his, that is his Twitter handle, yeah. at Dr. West Anthony. He's he is not actually a doctor of any sort. He has a very uh, strong and dynamic voice, and so I think uh, I think he was the right choice. Yeah, and I, yeah, I've, the the first couple he's done, which are for um, uh, Red Lights, which, which was directed by Rodrigo Cortez. I think so. Uh, I don't and Josh that. Long uh, wrote that review. Right. West reads it. And then there's another one. Is it on the website yet, the other one? No, not yet. Okay, uh, it will we be by the time We're waiting for this. Okay, yeah. Uh, by the time you hear this, it will be on the website. I'm not sure about putting it in the feed. I mean, I'll put it in the feed after the, this episode goes up. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Clown, the uh, film that I forget the name of the directors, the directing team, I think, yeah, uh, I think who so. made it. Um, it it's a, a, a notorious, I guess, uh, Scandinavian <laughs> sex comedy. Yeah, it's um, in reading about it, it's just it's and in hearing about it. Oh, yeah. I- and that it review sounds, was written by Rita Cannon. Yes. So something to something to look for uh, in uh, articles and in the feed itself uh, starting this coming week. So it's very exciting. Yeah, I'm very excited. So uh, yeah, look forward to those, and we look forward to definitely give us some feedback about it because you know if this becomes a thing that people look forward to, you know, um, and if West is free, maybe we can get other people to read them as well. We might mm-hmm. end up doing a podcast feed for yeah at some uh, point for our movie reviews because you know we we put a lot of time into the website um but i think i think we're probably still thought of most as a podcast first because we were a podcast for three and a half years before we started in our personality loom large yes before we started focusing on the website we were you know we've been a podcast so i think to take some of the content from the from the website, which I which I think is top notch, I'm a big fan of our website. I am as well. Um, take some of that and put it into uh, the format for which we are more known mm. is a, a to me a logical Be- step. Best and it was of both a, worlds, and, and it was a I... great idea on Tyler's part. Thank you. Uh, even though he stole it from this political website, I'm not sure if I stole it. <laughs> I feel like an idea like that is not. Uh, I don't think you can steal it, right? Okay. You know, that's a political website. Okay, we're not that. Okay. I mean, we're, we're getting there. Now, speaking of ideas you had, this one might be a little more sketchy, a little more iffy. Okay. I think, the, I think this audio reviews thing is a home run. Okay. The other thing you wanted to talk about. Hang on. Are we going item two, which I've crossed out? Yeah, why did you cross per, it out? Per your wishes. Oh, you shit. said we'd hold off on that. <laughs> yeah, never mind. Okay. Yeah, let's hold off. Well, we on do that. have another announcement, so don't this worry, is, everybody. We had a whole discussion about how we were going to wait till next week to talk about this thing. But I didn't cross it off my agenda. <laughs> I'm like Ron Burgundy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yes. Never mind. Forget we'll, everything we'll I just said. That. We'll talk about Tyler's uh, iffy idea <laughs> next week. 
I'm, I am also a little iffy on I'm that. Bu- I'm, I'm busting happy. your beans here. Um, Ugh, I don't like that at all. <laughs> okay, uh, we, we do have an announcement, and then I also uh, have an announcement, a, pers- okay, right. a uh, personal announcement. Um, I mean, I'm excited because I don't know what this is. Okay, so uh, first business announcement. Okay, so there is the Battleship Pretension Fleet, which uh, we talk about from time to time. It consists of, it's the podcasting let's, fleet. Let's run them down. Let's run them down. You got Battleship Pretension Prime. That's us. Yeah, original right. flavor. <laughs> Flagship. That's, yeah. that's what I that's what I call us on the website. Uh, you've got the TV podcast previously on. Yeah, great hosted show. by our, our good friend uh, David Bax and uh, another guy whose name escapes me, Sean. Sean Ingram. Um, and then you've got uh, the Auteur cast, hosted by Rudy Obias and, and the, the aforementioned. Yeah, see, there we go. Of course, we're going to say the same thing. Uh, West Anthony. Uh, and then you have uh, What the Fuck Are You Watching, hosted by Kyle Anderson and Lincoln Hayes. Now, now that's WTF Are You Watching, if you're looking for it in, uh, indeed, yes. in iTunes. Yes. Uh, they, don't, they don't cotton to the word fucking. Uh, they sure don't. Yeah. Which is, okay. I, I think, guess, I I guess our, you want to be family friendly in what people like. Like a kid could find that and then download it very easily. But yeah, I, well, I think I'm, our friends uh, Aaron Gibson and Joel Church Cooper, back when they used to do the shit parade yes. show, found that iTunes was not a fan of them, yeah. and it was hard to get it any notice. Which, by the way, have you listened to Aaron Gibson's newer podcast? No, it's I have. Called Throwing Shade. It's her and a guy named Brian Safi, no. and it is so great. Okay, uh, that, that is a uh, random endorsement for Throwing Shade. I was not given any money or other encouragement. Yeah. To make that endorsement, I've just been really into it lately. Well, while we're doing that, uh, and before we get to the rest of the uh, the fleet here, the new edition. Yeah, Throwing Shade, not a member of the fleet. Right, not a member of the fleet, nor is this other uh, podcast, uh, Tofop, uh, hosted by a friend of the show, Will Anderson, which we... I we, was literally just listening to that on the way over here. Such a great yeah. show. Will, who was, uh, you know, don't tell the other guests, but one of my favorite guests that we've ever had. Yeah. <laughs> um, told the story. Have you listened to the new one? No, not yet. Told a story about how he went to use his remote control, found that the batteries were dead, went into the bedroom to get the batteries out of the other remote control to put mm-hmm. in the living room remote control. Came back, couldn't find the living room remote control, spent 45 minutes looking for something <laughs> that had been in his hand seconds earlier. And I could so relate to that. Oh, absolutely. And he takes a long chunk of time telling the story. And I was, it was... It was a thing of beauty. I talk about extemporaneous, like, I mean, that, that show is not scripted. That is off the top of his head. Yeah. He's just relating the story, and I was on the edge of my seat and laughing <laughs> hilariously. So, yeah, Tofop, which you've heard plugged by Will Anderson himself here on the show, and uh, Throwing Shade, by a friend of the, which features friend of the show, uh, Aaron Gibson, and um, her co-host, Brian Safi. And what's Will's co-host? Charlie. Charlie. I don't remember the last name. I just met Will and Charlie is how I, how I yeah. know. Um, okay. But, okay, back to the fleet. So, as far as the fleet, we have a new member of the fleet. It is a show called Cue the Day. All right? And it is hosted by Jim and Jeff. And what they do is they are trying to uh, embrace the new media aspect of movie watching. All right? And so, if you want to know what's going on on Netflix, watch Instant. Or uh, Amazon Instant. Or Hulu Plus. Let me step in here. Okay. Because I'm anticipating okay um what someone else might say cue the day is new to the fleet it's not a it's not a completely brand new show right but it's it's still relatively new but what i'm saying is 
if I were listening to this and I hadn't heard a cue today, I would think, oh, they're just ripping off film spotting SVU. Because that is also a show that right. sticks to stream, movies that are available to stream. Right. This is a case of parallel thought. Absolutely. These bo- shows both started about the same time. Yeah. This is not, this is not like me r- blatantly ripping off the idea from that political website. Yes. There's two people. Which you refuse two- to even name. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's how should, much should that's, I? No, that's how that's how completely you were stealing it from them. You're not even going <laughs> to give them any credit for it. Um, but yeah, so it's it's parallel thought. So uh, you know, and and it's something that because I listened to SVU, which by the way I should talk about. This might be a, like a intro to another episode. Okay. All right. Full disclosure. I've been in therapy lately. Oh, okay. One of the main upsides of my therapy so far is more of an ability and willingness to listen to other movie podcasts and read other movie websites. That sounds to me like I should go to your therapist. The, yeah, and it is like almost silly to me the amount of like how quickly I would start to feel bitter mm-hmm. uh, or... or like Bitter if, or inferior? Because I've got inferior. No, that this is the exact opposite. Oh, okay. what would happen. Oh, okay. Is I would listen to someone whose podcast was more successful than ours. Okay. Or read someone whose website was more successful than ours, which is pretty much anyone. Um, and they would say one thing that I disagree with, and I would have to sh- like shut it off and walk away. Like, how, how are they more successful than I am? They're so wrong. Wow, you're really putting everything out there. Here's what I would yeah. do. Yeah, that's what I would... And, and, and no, I'm, I'm, I can talk about this now. Yeah. I am much more at ease uh, with listening to other podcasts and there's a whole wealth of awesome podcasts that mm-hmm. I have been missing out on. Absolutely. Well, and, I'm, I'm glad that you're able to do that. Uh, I'm working on that sort of thing, uh, because I listen to something and the minute somebody says something I don't agree with, I think they're probably right. That's why they're more <laughs> successful. And, uh, I am a fraud. That word pops up a lot, by the way, in my thinking. Uh, but yeah, so cue the day hosted by, uh, Jim and Jeff, uh, now, I'm not sure what the order of episodes will be, but I was a guest on their show. That episode might not be available yet, but uh, but look for it. If it's not, look for it in the next week or two. Uh, but I know that uh, front of the show, Tim Buell, has been a guest on, on their show. Uh, Rudy, Congratulations to Tim on getting married recently, by the oh, way. Oh, indeed. Yes, absolutely. Lots of stuff going on with our, uh, our guests. Not, nothing with us. But um, <laughs> except this announcement. Stay tuned. Um, and then uh, Rudy and West were guests on uh, Q the Day. That episode will be coming up pretty soon. So uh, if you want more information, you can find it at battleshippretension.com. Q the Day will have its own page, and you can read more about it. Okay. So, now, you've got an announcement. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you thought I was on the edge of my seat listening to Will talk about losing his remote control. Okay. I can't wait to hear this announcement. Because right. you won't tell me what it is. Uh, right. I did not tell you. I wanted to save it for the air. So, Okay. I'm sure many of you are thinking, oh, Tyler's going to be a father. No, no, no. That's what I was thinking. Nope. That's not it. Uh, Super taster. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm so happy that that's the case. That's right. I'm so happy because here's the thing for those maybe who don't, who aren't eagle eared listeners (laughs) and haven't picked up or maybe not long time listeners. Um, Tyler is literally the pickiest eater who has ever lived. Or I was. Right, you were. And uh, it when we you know when we lived together or spent more time socially, it would sometimes get on my nerves. Maybe also something that uh, you know I should work out with my therapist. Probably mm-hmm. my own issue more than yours. Okay, I'd say always, that's about right. You're generally very accommodating. Mm-hmm. 
sometimes there's a bit of a uh, superiority. What? How can I feel superior? There's a bit of look, I eat looking chicken down. Strips. I'm saying when I when I mention a, a falafel or some baba ganoush, there's a bit of a looking down your nose. Maybe this is back in the day. How do I look down? No, when you eat tongue, yes. I'll look down my nose all day long. Oh, that's where you find your tongue. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, um, anyway, no, I'm just, I'm just I'm just joking. So then I was reading this thing. Uh, I mean, I'd heard of super tasters. Mostly I'd heard it in terms of like wine critics and stuff, but I was either reading or listening to something where someone said that they were a super taster. And so they tended towards bland foods because of their extra taste buds. Mm-hmm. Tastes are overpowering to them. Okay. Yeah. And so tell it. Okay. You take it from there. Oh, I, I, I mentioned this to you. Yes. Okay. Uh, and I, I think I had heard of that, uh, elsewhere. There is a test that you can order. And so I, and for like five bucks. So I thought like, okay, well I'll do that. Uh, cause I'm tired of not knowing. And so, um, so what they do is they send you some information about what a super taster is. And by the way, there is a super taster. There is a taster then there is a non-taster a non-taster has fewer taste buds oh man and so i find myself wondering they didn't give as much detail about that but i find myself wondering if maybe non-tasters you know i I know people who like they'll put hot sauce and everything they they seek out spicy food i wonder not unlike somebody who cuts their arm to feel something i wonder if a non-taster will uh put all kinds of horribly spicy really inedible things in their <laughs> mouth uh in order to uh to taste something that's not that's that's my own theory anyway so what you, they send you these two strips uh-huh. okay these little paper strips they're about an inch long uh and you put one on your tongue and depending on your reaction that sort of depend determines what it's going to be if you are a super taster it will taste so incredibly bitter that it will be overwhelming and you will want to get it out of your mouth. Uh-huh. If you're a regular taste, you'd be like, oh, that's a little bitter. Uh-huh. If you're a non-taster, you don't taste anything, which I find fascinating as well. So, I put the first strip on my tongue and I almost gagged. Uh-huh. I wanted it. I, there's no question I wanted it out of my mouth. <laughs> like I just, and I was like, oh, all I have to do is take this strip off. Oh, it's still, like, the aftertaste was awful. I hated it. However, here's the thing. I needed a control. Okay. I gave the second strip to Jen. Uh-huh. And she put it on her tongue. Her reaction, oh, this is a little, this is bitter. This is and there was an aftertaste there as well, but there was not the, there wasn't the dire need uh-huh. to get it, to, to get it away. And so, and that's the thing is I wanted to make sure that there was somebody else that can eat any number of things, trying it as well. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to make sure that they did it after me right. because if they, if they did it before me, there might be a psychological thing that says my reaction needs to be bigger than that. Right. You know what I mean? I didn't, I didn't know how to gauge it. And what's more, let's say Jen had the crazy reaction as well. Mm-hmm. Well then it's like, okay, well then the common denominator here is maybe she's also a super taster or perhaps I'm overreacting. Right. Perhaps we're both overreacting to the normal bitter taste. Uh, and I am just picky. Mm-hmm. But no, so we both did it. She did it after me. Different, uh, notab- notably different reactions. So, super taster. Based on this test, it sounds like I was born with it. <laughs> and here's here's now here's my next challenge to you. Okay, now you need to do like these wine critics. You got to overcome it 
and use it to your advantage and become one of the great food critics of the world. I am the one of the. Do you want to know? Do you want to know where you can get some good uh, chicken fingers? Um, I'll tell you. Well, and here's the other thing, by the way, because I, I read up on it, and there are certain things. And what's more, twenty five percent of the population is a super taster. Hmm. I thought it was like like ten percent or five percent. So uh, most of them power through it. Do they? Or, be, or How do, do they, you know? Or they harness it and become critics. Fair, uh, fair enough. I mean, I one, out of four of people, <laughs> one out of four, four people I know is not as picky as you. Fair enough. Fair enough. And the, so it sounds like you're letting your super tasterism Here's control the thing, you. though. Let me, let me throw this out there. Um, they did specify that, like, there are some foods that I do like that most super tasters don't. Hmm. Then, of course, there's the list of foods that most super tasters don't care for uh vegetables being one of them and um and like for example like vegetables uh, are bland i know i don't know but i hate them so uh but like for example orange juice which is a little acidic and that's that can be like overwhelming to me i i don't like orange juice or oranges in general what's your favorite vegetable Ugh. um i don't know <laughs> like that's like saying where's my favorite place to get punched um <laughs> It probably carrots. I can eat a carrot, carrots. like a little baby carrot or something like that. Um, and that's the thing is like, which like one can broccoli. I muscle through is what... I like Brussels sprouts. I feel like Brussels sprouts are like in right now. <laughs> I feel like a lot of places have Brussels sprouts. All right. So... <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, but the other... Th- the, the really notable thing was coffee. I drink coffee. And coffee, you know, that's a bitter taste. Sure. And, uh, and so I was like... I don't know. Maybe this thing is wrong. I do drink coffee. And then Jen was like, yeah, but you put two sugars and a cream in it. And I was like, fair <laughs> enough. Yeah. And so I do, well, is, I do I'm, pretty much eliminate the bitter taste. I'm very happy for you. It doesn't yeah. mean I'm going to get fully off your case. No, that's fine. And, and it's not like I'm going to, I'm not going to use this as an excuse to like, stop trying things that sound interesting to me because you know, I, I still run across something that I like. And the mm-hmm. fact that there are some things that I do eat and drink that most super tasters don't, that might mean that uh, I'm open, uh, you know, I'm able to, not that, not that they're unable to do it, not that they're going to throw up or anything, but, uh, but that might mean that, uh, you know, I can try more things. And so, but it's just, uh, it's nice to know. I like to, I like to uh, put labels on things. Yeah. I'm, I'm just happy that science has won the day. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, good Lord, we've been going for over 25 minutes. So let's get into... Oh man! Let's get into and the it's topic. a profile episode. Yeah, but we're, this isn't going to take that long. Probably not. No, um, because we've talked about some of these movies at length before, and we will just refer you maybe to maybe that our nice. previous podcast. And then some of these I haven't seen in a long time. Yeah, uh, or have only seen once. In two of, two of these cases, I've only seen the movie once. Um, no, more than that. Anyway, I'm saying two of them are movies that I haven't seen in a while and have only seen once. Is what I should say. All right. <laughs> Beside the point. You mentioned it's a profile. Yes. Again, if you're new, if you started listening nine weeks ago or fewer, <laughs> then you might not know about our traditions here. Last right. week we talked about traditions. This week, uh, the tradition of talking about traditions continues. Uh, every time we do an episode in which the number of the episode ends in a zero, mm-hmm. uh, meaning it is divisible by the number 10. Right. Um, but making sure it's not divisible by the number 50. Yes, because though... Thank you. Yes, that is a good point. So I shouldn't have said any time it ends in zero, because 
yeah, obviously 150, 200, 250, 300. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'm letting the cat out of the bag. We're going to do something special for 300. I don't know what it is yet. Right, we'll figure it out. We'll do something. Um, anytime we do an episode, the number of the episode is divisible by 10, but not divisible by, divisible by 50. Mm-hmm. We profile an artist. Mm-hmm. Now, back when we started doing this, with episode 15, which is mercifully no longer available, mm-hmm. even though I think we should do David Lean again, oh, I'm very not happy with myself in that episode. I'm glad that it doesn't I've exist. I've seen several more of his movies since then. So. Ah. Um, Because uh, we used to do them every five. I know. I can't believe we, we, did, we did that. That's insane. And we also had a rule that we wanted the person to either have passed away or, or otherwise be retired. That's right. I forgot that rule. Yeah. Um, and we've done, I'd say most of them have followed that. I'd say, I, uh, um, I, maybe. But, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe, yeah, we did Zheng Yimou pretty early on, and he's yeah. clearly still working. Um, anyway, what we're going to do today, because it's, the you know, this is what's, this is what's in the zeitgeist. This not is unlike what, Brussels sprouts. I'm not unlike Brussels sprouts. This, <laughs> this guy this is guy. the Brussels sprouts of entertainment. <laughs> yes, that's true. Um, and, and because we're, you know, kind of... Uh, uh, I'm 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 in the mood to be kind of a hit whore on the on the internet. I want uh, mm-hmm. I want your attention. So we are going to jump right on the on the bandwagon, get caught up in the in the swell, and profile the career of Christopher Nolan. All right. Now let's get into it, shall we? This is the second time that I have profiled the career of Christopher Nolan because I was a guest on yeah. the aforementioned uh, autorcast with the aforementioned Rio Bias and the double aforementioned West Anthony. Man. Um, and, and and so uh I, I talked about that when west was on we talked uh, uh, i talked about being on for, for the autour cast uh christopher nolan episode and how i was about 90 percent sure that rudy asked me to be on just because he wanted me to be mean about inception <laughs> um mission accomplished uh probably maybe not as much as rudy had hoped okay um no i give i'm giving rudy a bad name uh anyway um but so I will, I will also try not to be too cruel to Inception this time either, especially because the last three Christopher Nolan movies we have dedicated entire episodes to. Mm-hmm. Now, two of those are bonus episodes. Right. This last one, because we couldn't find time to do a real episode and a bonus episode, yeah. is a real, epi- a real episode, which, by the way, we still owe one from Yeah, Comic-Con. we do. We'll find a time to, to do. Well, at some point, we'll do two in a week to catch up. Because this is episode 280, but it's our 281st week, and that mm-hmm. drives me crazy. Um, so we gotta we gotta catch up. Uh, so I think um, that that's why I think this might be short because I think we can just uh, point to those. Yeah, and, and we can sum more up. sum up our yes. what we said there, and then move on. Yeah, because at those point out at those times I was working through working toward my opinion on the film. Right now I've done that. I have an opinion. Yeah, it is, and it's never going to change. It is right and final. <laughs> <laughs> but let's start. Uh, why don't you let me take a break to have a water and a dried pineapple, and you talk about following because I've never seen it. Okay. Uh, before we uh, before I get started with that, I I'm did not going to eat say, an entire dried pineapple. No, just a, a, a small slice. piece of it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I did want to say a special thanks to Pat Francis for being on uh, last week's episode. Thank you. And anybody who is listening to this because. Uh, they uh, came over from, from him, and uh, they're a fan of his. Uh, welcome. And uh, let's get started with following a film I have not seen in, yes, 10 years. Okay. At least. Uh, you know, actually, before we do one by one. Oh, okay. I've already finished my water. 
my, my pineapple slice. Well, this works out well then. Um, should we sum up what our thoughts of Christopher Nolan are in general and then go by one, one by one? Or do we go one by one and then sum up? But then at that point, the summary isn't necessary. No, I yeah, I think we, we should do it first because it'll give us an eye toward what to, uh, what to speak about okay. with each film. Um, well, you go first. You're the one who hates him. I don't, I don't hate him, but I wouldn't necessarily say that I like him. It's not, you know, I recently saw, and you can read my, my review by the time this episode's up, uh, the new film from Fernando Moraes. And I had not seen Blindness, but I liked City of God, and I really liked The Constant Gardener. And this new film was called 360. And based on the fact that it was directed by Fernando Moraes, I was excited going in. Mm-hmm. Now, this movie turned out to be terrible. But when I hear I'm, blindness isn't very good either. Yeah, that's kind of why I, I, I avoided it. But um, that excitement that I had previously had for Fernando Moraes, I don't get that about Christopher Nolan, the way that I know a lot of people do. That's why I bring it up, right. because I know a lot of people, he's up there with, with a P.T. Anderson, you know, or, or, or someone... I don't know. Uh, yeah, I mean, they, he, there are people, including uh, aforementioned uh, Will Anderson, who, you know, mm-hmm. they it's not merely that they follow his career. They are followers of him. They like what he does so much, and he's such a unique voice, and I'd, I'd, I'd say that's about right, that, uh, you know, they he has followers, not unlike a P.T. Anderson or a Wes Anderson, um, or just, or even like a, like a Darren Aronofsky. Like, there are filmmakers that just sort of... Forward to? What was that? Who do you look forward to? I'll go first. P.T. Anderson, probably. Um, one of my... Uh, anytime I hear, and it's, uh, it does, he doesn't make films that often, but former profilee uh, Patrice Leconte. Oh, okay, yeah. I get so excited for his films. Uh, uh, he, I... Hmm. Okay, go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, anyway, I just thought that was a... I think uh, P.T. Anderson, uh, Coen Brothers, uh, of course... Um, I do like. I think I. I think I genuinely like Alexander Payne, and I'm always interested to see what he's doing next, um, especially after Sideways, because then like there's you know a nice uh, one two three punch of election about Schmidt Sideways. Did you see Citizen Ruth? No, I haven't. Mm. But uh, uh, yeah, but yeah. As far as like, oh, also Joss Whedon. I know he's only made two oh. films, but I very much look well, forward abso- to him. Yeah, absolutely. But. Um, Oh, David O. Russell. Oh, that's a good one. Always excited about David O. Russell. Yeah, even if... Uh, do you know how I, I've gotten that way with David Fincher? Who David Fincher was previously in the Nolan camp for me. A guy mm-hmm. I was generally skeptical about. Right. Then he made Zodiac. Um, probably one of the best American films of my lifetime. Okay. Would you agree? Uh, that's, to, that's a little big, but it is... I, I do consider it almost a masterpiece. Yeah. Which I, I mean, don't say lightly. Uh I mean, I think I used to say one of the best American films of the decade, and I, of that decade, and I think yeah. it is. But now we're two years into the next decade, and Zodiac is is five years old now. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, yeah, I don't think it's going away from my subconscious anytime soon. I okay. think it's uh, it is a, a yeah a masterpiece. Um, and then yeah, I made the Social Network, and so now uh, I'm interested in what David Fincher is doing, even if it's the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, which I didn't end up liking. Right. I now maybe. Uh, take him more seriously. I'd say that's about right. I guess. And and you know what? I'm going to, if if you have nothing else to say, I'm going to use that as a transition back oh, to so Christopher was I, Nolan. But go ahead. Okay. So, 
All right. This is going to sound like I'm being insulting Christopher Nolan, uh, and I apologize in advance. Uh, I am also not somebody who immediately jumps to looking forward to his stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, I don't think there's ever been a movie of his that I have not enjoyed, even Inception, which I think is uh, deeply flawed. There are parts of it that I enjoyed, and the, the overall concept I liked quite a bit. I think some of the writing needed some work, uh, and as somebody who has, you know, he has directed a lot of actors to some really interesting performances. And I think there are almost none in that film except for, uh, uh Marion Cotillard. I think she, she does a pretty mm-hmm. good job because she has the freedom to be purely destructive, uh, cause she's not a real character, uh, in the film. So she's, you know, a, a concept. So, So I, I always enjoy his films, but I do – and the idea of, of taking seriously, I get the impression that – and this is – I apologize, everybody. I get the impression that he is a rather humorless person because he seems to take he, – he's a genre director, like no question about it. Like he all, he's always working within a genre of some type. And he, I, I think he's interested in exploring genre, but only insofar as – seeing what he can explore. I wonder if he has an actual love for the genres in which he works. Um, he seems to see the value in them. Uh, that, that's what I meant to say. He, he seems to value them only insofar as how he can work yeah. within them, I mean, not, we, not a love for the genres themselves. We've talked about, or at least talked around, what it means to enjoy a movie. I don't know if we've done a full episode on it. We clearly could. We're a couple of windbags. I'd say that's about right. Um, yeah. uh, and so obviously you know there are lots of deeper nuanced meanings of the ways that you enjoy a movie you know um you know there are some movies that are no fun at all mm-hmm. you know that i enjoy you know because they're intellectually stimulating or yeah. what have you uh and so in that in that way i can see enjoying christopher nolan but it is an odd choice of words because in the i think um in the strictest sense of the word he it often feels like he's challenging you not to or trying to get you not to enjoy it in in, in that sense as if he doesn't trust it as if he feels that's a cheaper thing that's a, that's a cheaper reaction like he wants to engage you mm-hmm. he wants you to feel engaged but and if you feel and it, it's almost like he uses i was talking about genre earlier let's let's even go a little deeper or a little broader and say the concept of enjoyment it's like he uses that to sort of Trojan horse something else in there, mm-hmm. which is fine. Yeah. I'm absolutely fine with that. We, we, we both like it when Michael Haneke does it. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can't. I don't know if we like it. But, uh, but that's the thing. Is like, I, I'm fine with that. I, I mentioned History of Violence. I feel like History of Violence is that a little bit. It uses tropes of, of the thriller and, and action genre to Trojan horse and the actual discussion of, of violence and uh, monstrosity and that sort of thing. Um, so I'm not opposed to that, but he seems to, as far as I can tell, and I know we're, we're going to 
piss off a lot of people with this episode, by the I way. I think we've done enough Christopher Nolan talk that people expect us to. Let me, let me amend. I think I'm going to piss off a lot of people. You are, people already know how you think, how you feel. Um, but I, but it, I'm not going to sit here and be wholly dismissive. No, no, absolutely not. I mean, because, I think when we did our Inception episode, I mostly was because I yeah. am almost entirely dismissive of that movie. Okay. Uh, but I mean, anyone who listened to us talk about The Dark Knight Rises last week knows that I don't, right. I don't jump to conclusions or, 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 uh, or dismiss, um, Christopher Nolan out of hand. Yeah, he cannot be dismissed. He is a force. He is a. He will not be ignored. He will not be ignored. He is a. I mean, look at like looking at this list. He makes a movie every couple years, and the movie is always pretty big and pretty ambitious and kind of ballsy at times and good and and pretty engaging and usually pretty smart. And you but could do a, a lot worse than all of that. You calling it big gets back to something uh, that I want to agree with you with that he chooses high concept movies and then spends the entire movie not embracing the fun of that high concept uh, kind of you, undercutting the concept a little uh, bit yeah i mean yeah. even like um uh insomnia now there i mean you know the, the concept there is the sun never goes down that's the high concept or, or the, the try- sort of hook and trying to solve a, a crime on being awake for like yeah, six but i days. feel like that's almost a that's the byproduct that's in, instead of like um, you know, there's a we movie should called save some of this until we get to insomnia. But yeah, but yes. okay. There's but that's just my example. There's a movie called Thirty Days of Night. It's just the opposite. <laughs> yeah. They take the concept of the sun never coming up, and they have vampire fun with it. Yeah. Here he takes a concept of like, oh, the killer can't hide. You know, it's always and it, instead of showing like people partying in the daylight or something that like would be a cheaper way into mm-hmm. uh, a cheaper way to exploit the hook, he goes and finds the most <laughs> negative repercussion of it which, which is that he this guy can't sleep which is still kind of which is okay i i think oh i'm like, not no i like insomnia i'm not yeah like there's nothing wrong with how he approaches things but i do sometimes it's why i think i have a hard time just uh just embracing him is because i i get the feeling from his films and i've not i don't think i've ever actually listened to an interview with him and i'm not that interested in doing so yeah, i he's yeah. a filmmaker that i really think speaks through his films specifically through the tone in his films and so like i just get the impression that he okay this is going to sound really insulting but i can't think of any other way to say it Uh he seems to almost make movies as if to say like yeah what do you think of that you came for your little batman movie and now i'm talking about communism i'm talking about anarchy and nihilism what do you think of that fuck yourself (laughs) like it, it, it seems to be almost defiant in in how seriously it's taking itself. Mm-hmm. It seems as though it, it, it almost as if he's out to prove something. And when, when the screenplay or the film merits it, it, it as I would say is probably true in the dark night. Yeah. Um, it's a great, uh, a great thing yeah. when it's, when it doesn't, then it comes across as laughably, portentous yeah you can do worse than have a filmmaker who takes his movies seriously i mean a a lot of the best filmmakers do that Mm -hmm. um but when you but the problem with that like you said is that if he winds up taking seriously a movie that just does not hold together well Mm -hmm. in our opinion of course there are people that love inception but then then it becomes that's that's maybe the biggest understatement ever (laughs) what did i say you said there are people who love inception yeah 
Yeah. Well, you know, it's. Uh, I would say most of our listenership probably. Probably, yeah. Probably and so and well, let's alienate all of them. No, I'm, uh, again, no judgments. No, no, I don't judge. No, I don't judge you for for enjoying Inception. Yeah, um, but I can't I bring myself to do it. I personally think it's uh, a you know ceaseless junk parade, but. Uh, <laughs> I don't judge you for liking it. Okay, well, that's all right. Well, good. I'm glad that after after me alienating people for f- about five minutes, you, in the course of ten seconds, have taken all the heat <laughs> off of me and put it on yourself. So, and um, so, so that's that's all. That's a lot of things, the negative stuff I've been saying. Yeah, There's exactly. a lot of positives. I like every movie on this list, even Inception, which I don't love. Hmm. I merely like it, and there are parts that I love, but there are also parts that I don't like, and that's average those together and you get a like yeah um well, uh, i want to talk about the um one of his big uh positives uh again i guess only when it's used in a film i like but i'll count it as a positive is that he has a sensibility that i think has um sometimes been described as an indie sensibility but i think that's not quite uh i know what that's i know what it's meant by that but that's not uh how i would describe it i think he has more of an artist's sensibility or um art house maybe sensibility is what mm. i should say yes he has more of an art house sensibility or a literary sensibility i could yeah i could see that that he mixes sometimes quite deftly with uh the um sensibility of a showman mm-hmm. he, you know he he very much likes to uh play around and reveal things you know he made a whole movie about magician magicians that we'll get to uh, well and it's that dichotomy of those two things that the prestige is all about but we'll get to that in a moment yeah and and i think maybe prestige is uh the uh, even though it's not one of my favorites it might be the most key to understanding him i'd say that yeah that's absolutely right um and uh but let's okay so i also want to talk about um which i think i mentioned last week that i just feel like i'll get back to which is uh episodic structure okay and how sometimes it very much works to his benefit and sometimes i think it works against him okay but uh, i think that's this could just as easily be a profile in that way of jonathan nolan that's (laughs) true because i I think he as a screen screenwriter has a, a structure he tends toward yeah um and yeah, that's something we'll hit on. Okay, so I'll, I'll start with following. Um, I don't remember a great deal about it, and I apologize for that. It's a film that I sort of liked. Um, it really, and I tell you what, if you watch it, you you'll see all the Nolanisms in there. You'll see the things that he is fascinated by. Michael Caine. That's it. Yes, <laughs> it's a one man film. Um, but just toying with uh, convention and storytelling technique, um, I would say it's – I don't like to do this, but from a plot standpoint, I will compare two movies. It's sort of like a combination of Fight Club and Arlington Road, okay? Where I never saw Arlington Road. It's not that great. but uh, Who's in that? Jeff Bridges. Jeff Bridges. Tim Robbins. Tim Robbins. And like – uh, yeah, and it, there are people who hate that movie, and I'm not one of them. I actually think it's pretty good. Please note, I've not seen it in probably about 14 years. So, 14? Yeah, that's about right. Uh, in that, So there's this guy who kind of lives somewhat of a humdrum life, and then he gets brought into the life of uh, this really kind of cool guy who uh, is a criminal of sorts. Um, and so 
he brings him on into this uh this scheme uh a heist of sorts and so the uh our hero protagonist whatever he um he gets involved in in the heist only to find at the end that his buddy is gone his buddy has left him high and dry his buddy the cool guy has the loot and our hero is left to face the cops and so every time he tries to bring up this other guy he realizes that this guy has basically made it so that he has not only left no prints at the scene by prints i don't mean literal fingerprints although there's that too but just no evidence of there being two people Mm -hmm. but he also has given no evidence of there being a second person in this in the protagonist's life so it's not an imagine he's not an imaginary guy he's a real guy but he has not unlike uh, another movie that came out, I think, uh, the same year, called The Spanish Prisoner, mm-hmm. which they do a really good job of just orchestrating things, and you don't quite realize that they're orchestrating to just set this guy up to take the fall completely, and anything he says is going to sound crazy. Uh, so it's structured, and, but... So that's the basic story. Pretty interesting. And uh, definitely a genre exercise, and that's fine. But, uh, but the structure will sort of set up the memento structure except the memento structure while going backwards and forwards and all that sort of thing there is a definite overall structure to it whereas following is the what i've heard people say and what i would agree with is that it's structured like a puzzle the scenes jump around a little bit there's here's one from the past here's the present here's the future and then it goes back to the past and then and then future then present so it it jumbles around there's still a clear arc and there's still a clear climax when the character realizes what has happened. But it jumps around a little bit, and you have to assemble it all in your mind after it's all done. And so in that sense, it sort of puts you in the same mental uh, place as the protagonist. And it doesn't, it, it, it doesn't do it quite as expertly as Memento. But for a first film, it's pretty solid. And if you haven't seen it and you're a, and you're a, a Nolan fan, I'd say watch it. It will. You'll see a lot of the stuff that he would go on to do as far as structure and twists, uh, and you'll see a lot of that in in following. It's a, it's a nice, it's a perfectly fine little film. Okay, um, let's move on to Memento. Okay, which is uh, along with The Dark Knight, uh, as I said last week, my two favorite Nolan films. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but of course, I can't be wholly positive about anything. Uh, so um, that's not true. But uh, uh, so I'll talk about something that I think is going to be. Uh, it's going to repeat itself here. And again, this is just as much Jonathan Nolan. Um, it's uh, Memento is a really good film that the more you watch it and think about it, in some ways becomes better, but in other ways you come to realize how corny a lot of the dialogue is. And yep. I think that's, that's a definite weakness with him that we'll see going forward. Um, people s- speaking maybe a little too... Uh, a little on the nose. Yeah, a little too boldly uh, yeah. or a little too, uh, I don't know, and it plainly. All, and you realize just how important, and I'd say by and large, Nolan is a good caster of actors because you get the right actor mm-hmm. saying on the nose dialogue and it doesn't seem on the nose. Joe Pantoliano. So, national treasure Joe Pantoliano. Absolutely. Joey Pants, as I like to call him. Yeah. Um, he has a way of taking pretty on the nose, even thematic dialogue. And making it seem like the kind of thing this guy would say, mm-hmm. v- casually, mm-hmm. as opposed to the filmmaker, like, 
as opposed to it being exposition, either plot or thematic. Um, and that's the thing is he is, I wouldn't say he's at the mercy of his cast, but if you were to just look at the lines on the page, mm-hmm. you'd be like, man, this is not that great. But then when you hear Joe Pantoliano say it, or, you know, uh, or even like a Robin Williams or, or an yeah. Al Pacino. Yeah. I'm um, trying to think of an example of I mean, Joe Pantoliano has to, uh, uh, you know, il- illustrate or, or maybe heavily foreshadow something mm-hmm. in Memento by, you know, saying, I'm a John G. Yeah. You know, and because it's Joe Pantoliano saying it, it's kind of funny. Yeah. And so you kind of, maybe the, the foreshadowing, I think, still registers, but it doesn't, like, land with a thud like it would if right. it weren't delivered by by Joe Pantoliano. Yeah, there is a way. Or to- someone else of his caliber, caliber, of which there are a few. I'd say that's yeah. I'd say there's a way to kind of skim over that. You still say it. It reminds me of uh, there's a movie called Roger Dodger. Roger yeah. Dodger that I love. Mm-hmm. And there's a there's a line in which um, I'll give the briefest of backstories. Uh, Campbell Scott uh, is a um, kind of a womanizer, and he's talking with his nephew, played by Jesse Eisenberg, kind of the film that put him on the map. Um, and Jesse, and it's towards the end of the film, and Jesse Eisenberg, you, he says, like, well, you said you go home with, like, a different woman every night. And Campbell Scott's, his line is, I say a lot of things. Mm-hmm. That, is, that can be a very on-the-nose, hey, man, I, you know, I say a lot of things. Like, pardon me so, while I look into my soul. Right. Here's what he, Campbell <laughs> I'll, I'll Scott. I'll back while the scales fall from your eyes <laughs> for a second. <laughs> Campbell Scott, he goes, yeah, I say a lot of things, and then he moves on. Uh-huh. to the next thing yeah. the line's still there and he and the character probably that's the thing he plays it as though the character's already well aware of this mm-hmm. he's already had this thought now he's just expressing it but he's, he doesn't have to express it with the weight that a, that right. a line like that has like speaking of Roger Dodger okay you know who's another cinematic treasure who's that Isabella Rossellini Oh, no question about yeah, that. I love her. Yeah. We should get back to Christopher Nolan. Yeah, and so... Because we, we're here talking about jo- how great Joey Pants is, and you turned it into how great Campbell Scott but is. But that's part of it, because mm-hmm. if you look at... Okay, I think there's a good cast in Inception. I don't mm-hmm. think he's asking them to do great... Th- and there's a lot of exposition yeah. in Inception. And I don't, I'm sorry that we keep going back and forth, but like somehow like those actors giving the performances that they are when you see exposition you see it you hear it it's right there as opposed to there's a lot of there's a lot of exposition in memento right but it doesn't totally read that way like he can cat you know he does put a lot in the hands of his actors and that's i think he chooses to do that and that's a good thing because he can get a lot of really solid performances out of them um now as far as memento I feel like we don't need to give like summaries of these movies, right? Like we can just talk about what we think of it. Um, and this will be something that I return to. Um, and I said last week, Christopher Nolan is a big picture filmmaker. He thinks in the, when it comes to the details, whether it be like a specific line that is a little exposition or, or like little, little holes in logic of which there are many in memento. Mm -hmm. Um, when you really take the time to think about them, you're just like, well, wait a minute. Why does, how does he know that if he doesn't have, like, he certainly seems to remember a lot. I don't totally buy that this guy is starting afresh every single time he's mm-hmm. supposed to start afresh. It is like, he seems to act a little too aware. And so st- stuff like that. But those are little, those are little things 
and Christopher Nolan is not interested in little things. He's he's interested in the little things insofar as they they give way to larger things. And in the larger sense, Memento is is great. I, I love it. I love what it's trying to do with the character. I love the format of it. I think it does a really good job of. I think I think he actually uses the format to create some surprising humor. Mm-hmm. You know, what am I doing? I'm cha- oh, I'm chasing this guy. Yeah, you know, stuff like that. Um, and just it, it's it's a very well, but you know the details of this guy's memory loss, which can be explained to a certain extent that perhaps it is psychological and not physical. And if it's mm-hmm. psychological, then that means that his brain will let some, some things through and some things not. And that's I can use that to get past mm-hmm. some of the some okay. of the little flaws here and there. But uh, but yeah, in the overall and what he's saying about. Uh, Okay, this might be a little lofty on my part, but uh, what he's saying about human nature, mm-hmm. um, in that, like, Leonard, he has a, a line early in the film, and, th- and this goes to this, the structure of the screenplay, which I like a lot. He says, I don't know how anybody could take advantage of this condition. Meanwhile, every single person he encounters takes full advantage of his condition, yeah. whether it be uh, Carrie Ann Moss or Joe Pantoliano or Mark or, Boone Jr. Or Mark Boone Jr. Yeah, well, is that what you were going to say? Yeah. yeah. And then. And this is and this is why the the climax works so well on the film is that you know as far as the plot it's a nice structure thematically it's a it's a wonderful climax because we see all these people take advantage of his condition and at the very end you see that he does it too hmm. that he yeah and that gets something uh, that I wanted to talk about you okay. will also see um, I was recently on an episode of uh, producing an episode of on the page in which Pilar was talking about conflict and types of conflict that there's external conflict there's one-on-one conflict and there's internal conflict Mm -hmm. and um you know to keep comparing things to inception uh maybe that's the movie that (laughs) unveils more about who he is than even the prestige but um you know there's a lot of talk about uh people speculating maybe inception is uh all a dream or you know lots of it's a dream and these things are all these people in the dream are all constructs of um Cobb, is that Leonardo DiCaprio's name in the movie? I think so. Uh, of Cobb's uh, psyche and the way that he's punishing himself for of what his guilt, you mm-hmm. know? And really, dream or not, a lot of his, most of his movies are set up that way. Every mm-hmm. every one of his heroes' worst enemy is himself. And it's always a him. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and you almost could say, uh, I think, um, uh, Scott and I, in a, uh, our, our writer, uh, Scott and I, we own him. He's our writer. Yep. Um, uh, we did a, a discussion blog post with uh, with Scott, uh, Daniel, and Kyle. Uh, and Scott talked about Christopher Nolan as a structuralist uh, in that he's using the structure uh, of the uh, of the film uh, and of the screenplay to uh, comment on and illustrate the inner workings of the of the protagonist's mind mm-hmm. and, and psyche. And so in that way, almost every one of these films could be kind of like a dream because everything can, can be interpreted as a projection of what's going on inside the lead character's mind. I'd say that's about right. All right. Um, yeah. And that's, and I, uh, Should I feel we move like on we can, to we can move on now because that's another, I mean, that's a perfect thing here is that, uh, uh, yes, theoretically, and I don't remember Pacino's character's name in this. Will Dormer. Okay. Dormer's Dormer similar to the uh, Spanish word dormir, which means to sleep. Ah, 
Okay. Think about that. Um, I guess you don't have to. I just yeah. You just <laughs> there's nothing left to think about. Uh, Dormer. Um, yes, he can't sleep because it's sunny all the time, but also because he's torturing himself with guilt. Right. That's the real reason. It's the idea of him not having anywhere to hide, literally and figuratively. Like yeah. at this point, like the light is shining so, the light that he's shining on himself exactly shining on himself is so just oppressive that he just can't go anywhere. And so like the idea that this is all happening at the same time. Uh, and then there's, then there's a parallel between like he winds up shooting his partner played by the wonderful Martin Donovan. Um, yeah, he winds up shooting his partner who his partner, by the way, is going to be sort of testifying against him. Mm. Um, and so he shoots him in the fog. And so immediately he has to, he shoots him right in the fog. <laughs> so in the midst of the fog, he sees a shadowy figure that he thinks is the criminal he's chasing. He winds up shooting, and it, it, tur- it turns out to be his partner. Now, he stands to gain a lot from his partner's death. Mm. And so knowing that and knowing the choices he's made in the past and the fact that his partner in the m- moments before death thinks that he did it on purpose, he starts to think, maybe I did. And then the parallel between the killer that he's chasing played by Robin Williams, uh, that he says he didn't really mean to kill this girl either. It just, it's the thing that happened and -hmm. that there was no intention behind it, but maybe there was something underneath. And so one thing that I, that I really love about insomnia is just, you know, there's no clear, I mean, there's a clear, like good guy and bad guy, but they're so close to each other that they're, their scenes together, yeah. I think, are by far the best. Not unlike in The Dark Knight, the scenes between Batman and the Joker work out yeah. really well. Yeah. Um, and, um, okay, I'm, I've been talking for a while. Go ahead. Well, I mean, uh, I, I feel like, and I know I've brought this up before, maybe on mic or off mic. I, again, it's been, I've seen, I've seen Insomnia once when it was new to DVD, mm-hmm. and I really liked it. And I feel like it has a very minor reputation among nolan's work nobody seems to yeah and i I wonder why if you have you have you seen it more recently than i have uh i've seen it several times okay uh and it's probably been a while since i've seen it but i've seen it well and i've seen it recently enough and enough times that i feel like i can speak about it and confidently say that it is good yeah i think it's really good because i I remember it being good because i've seen the original as well and people love the in in school. People gave me crap because I like the new one more than the original because the original is always better. Uh, uh, no real reason to think that. Um, but it, well, it's, it's, it's not even so the original much. Original is almost always better. Almost always better, but that doesn't necessarily mean it. You have to think that. Yeah. And, but uh, also, it's a foreign film, and the it, foreign film is always going to be better than the American <laughs> remake, right? right? Uh, um, um, but um, I don't know. True Lies is a remake of a French film. Um, Breathless. Uh, that's the one <laughs> with Tom but in, 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 in the original. He doesn't shoot his partner. Am I right? No, I don't think so. All right. But that's the thing is like they, and, and the villain is much more faceless and he's just clearly the villain. Hmm. Um, and that's the thing. He might shoot his partner in the original. It's been, it has been a while since I've seen okay. that, but, but that's the thing is, is while the, while, uh, Stellan Skarsgård who plays the Pacino role, while his character does sort of reflect on himself a little bit. It's nothing like the the to- the literal torture mm-hmm. that is going on in Al Pacino in Insomnia, and uh, and it's just a it's a really interesting addition thematically and structurally to 
Christopher Nolan's career because first off, like it's it's in the light. Very few of his movies are out there in the light, mm-hmm. and the fact that he has chosen and the, the fact that all right, I, well. He didn't know at the time that he was going to be making all these other movies, but he's somebody who's comfortable working in the darkness. And so it's notable that the one movie in which everything takes place in the light, that turns into a major thematic element. It has to take place in the light. It couldn't take place any other way. If this character can get sleep, now he might not let himself sleep, but this just facilitates that. And it's a, you know, an outward expression of how he's feeling inside like and 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 i will say that like it might be let's see Mm. from a from a story structure standpoint it's pretty straightforward okay it just starts at the beginning and goes all the way through to the end there's no real gimmick to it it's the only one that's not an original screenplay that's true is i mean i guess the batman movies borrow a lot from the comics from what i'm told but yeah right this is the only one that's not that's an adaptation yeah and uh going back to and now this is iffy because i haven't seen it in so long but going back to the thing i was talking about about the screenplay not being as strong on repeat viewings i feel like in my memory hillary swank's character is a little underdrawn she is uh very much so she she is because she's somebody who uh and maybe her and her general relationship to Al Pacino's character, like she just she has studied his because he's like supposed to be like a kind of a, a star detective in Los Angeles. And she's like studied his career and his cases and stuff. So she has to be a little like fawning over mm-hmm. him. Um, but she also serves as somebody who is, you know, she's intelligent and she's like, you know, kind of spunky and all that sort of thing. But she also serves to be. Not, not his conscience, but she serves to remind him of the good things that he's done. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. While he is constantly, she's sort of his, his cheerleader of sorts, whereas the theory is that he, as the protagonist, should be his own cheerleader, but he certainly is not. And so she, so there's a line towards the end where she's like, I know you didn't shoot happy, even if you don't. And and it's stuff like that. And now, um, Another motif maybe we... <laughs> didn't hit on before is the underdrawn female character in a lot of his his movies i mean we, yeah. can, we can get into batman begins here yeah uh, I, I will carry on moss is pretty pretty well drawn in memento though i think uh, maybe I probably don't know. as much as uh joe pantoliano but I, she's I don't definitely think supporting. Moss has the skill set of uh, joe pantoliano but i don't think that's her fault i think i think is from a character standpoint everything is there okay you see that she is she can She's actually, in many ways, very similar to sort of the Catwoman character that we would see in Dark Knight Rises, and that you don't totally you see that she manipulates the character, but that she mm-hmm. also has a general sympathy for him. Um, so that was that was good. But then, yeah, in Hillary Swank, there's not much, and then um, in Batman Begins, yeah, let's yes, talk let's, about Rachel Dawes in Batman Begins and Dark Knight. Not only is she pretty much uh, universally accepted as an underdrawn character or uninteresting character. Mm-hmm. He's so uninterested in her that it doesn't hurt the film. Like, people don't care. Like, it, people love the film and don't care that it has, a, like, a romantic lead that that is uninteresting. Yeah. That, that's, I, like, how little consideration, I think, it is given. Because, again, and you could say, they're, they're, you know, if I'm playing, I guess, whatever the opposite of, I'm playing Angel's Advocate here. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to defend him, you could say, if you're going back to my theory that um, all his films function as 
dreams that the main character is having, mm-hmm. then it would make sense that the 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 romantic lead is not interesting in and of herself because she only exists as a comment on on Bruce Wayne. Probably. So I and just talked myself into not uh uh disliking Rachel Dawes as much. Well it's it is Dawes, right? Dawes, yeah. yeah. Um yeah, it could be seen it, it but then what does that say about the character of Bruce Wayne that he refuses to see his ostensible girlfriend as nothing more than the person who either cheers him on or opposes him and that is all like not really an individual but in I, I think he herself. sees her as um uh representing a mental health that he has lost and maybe yearns for i suppose so and she does and that's the thing is if you, if we look at it that is what makes it acceptable is looking at it purely as a function of this is completely through the eyes of the protagonist the downside of the, the maybe the uh the fault with that thinking when it comes to the batman series is that they are very much though batman is the main character and uh and bruce wayne um they are very much ensemble films and we will spend minutes away from him and we mm-hmm. see her by herself operating you know dealing with the scarecrow or dealing oh, with the, right, the yeah. da or something like that and uh although it should be noted that like in those moments the character is a little bit maybe not maybe not more drawn but stronger at the very least whereas when she's with batman she is defined only by what she has to say to him now i know this is it will seem like i'm skipping the prestige but okay. do you think uh maggie gyllenhaal was better than katie holmes a yes and do you think the character is better written in dark knight than in batman begins yes I would agree with you on both counts. Because I think it's, I don't necessarily blame Katie Holmes. I think she's a perfectly fine, uh, perfectly fine actress. I think she can be delightful, but but the problem is she's so often called to not be delightful. And it's just like, she's limited. She's a limited actress. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like nothing wrong with that. Plenty of great actors who I think tend to stick within their comfort zone to our great benefit. I would say, I I know he's your favorite actor of all time, but Robert Duvall to some extent has a like area that he fits in. You mean like playing bald characters? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, there's, there's some similarity to all of his characters, you know, uh, 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 beyond the physical, there's a, there's a, uh, a cragginess. I'd say that's about right. (laughs) To them. But like, you know, he plays sort of, uh, s- stubborn and manly uh, yeah. types. You know, you're not going to see a movie. You know, um, you know, the, there's never going to there, there was never going to be an American remake of uh, the Adventures of Priscilla with Robert Duvall in the Terrence Stamp right, role. Right. <laughs> like, um, he, although, man, can you imagine? <laughs> but that, and that's the thing is, like, yes, he is very. Uh, there's a. a I won't say there's a machismo to him, but there is a masculinity to the type yeah. of actor that he is. That's it's one of the reasons why he gets cast in westerns so often. It's also one of the reasons why National Review, notable conservative magazine, wrote a whole article about him as being the quintessential American actor right now. Um, Do you know his politics? I think he's a little right leaning. So, but I don't think they mention that in the article. I think they just talk about like you know lonesome dove and the apostle and just yeah. and the types of roles that he plays and how he plays them um I'm trying to think what i know about his personal life besides the fact that he likes the tango that's about all i know he has a significantly younger girlfriend 
the woman from Assassination Luciana Channel? Pedrasi. Yeah. Yeah. Why do I know her name? That's she weird. She was in Assassination Channel. She was, and she's a delight. I didn't like that movie very much. Neither did I, but she's delightful in it. Yeah. Um, okay. However, okay, here's the thing. Within, within his, uh, within his uh, limited range, he can do a lot. Like, he can play Joseph Stalin and then be in The Apostle. Like, he, he has... Yeah, yeah, yeah. He can do a lot of things with it. But back to uh, Katie Holmes. Katie Holmes, who should be playing characters like her character on Dawson's Creek. Yeah. You know, she has a, she has a youthful energy to her, yeah. you know, and there's a certain sort of uh, exuberance and the, you know, mm-hmm. so yeah, when she, it's hard to buy her as the, uh, I don't know, um, tough as nails attorney with a, yeah. Well, and she uh, also like seems soft heart. Or she also seems kind of young. Yeah. I know that she, problem. I know that she is young, but she also reads young, yeah, younger than, than a Maggie Gyllenhaal again, to keep going back to inception i've always had the same problem with leonardo dicaprio is that he mm. his his face has not grown up i'm starting to see him as a little older his his voice is still a little, you know what i don't want to judge stuff like that but it's just but i, I don't know i mean uh, i think we can people people are good at certain things and maybe not so. as good as disappearing into i'd say yeah I, into roles i don't know i i ba- i i would say i mostly brought up Leonardo DiCaprio just then as an example because I was afraid of being called sexist oh, uh, okay. talking about Katie Holmes uh, the way I was I, I, I have this problem well the, here's okay here's the uh, thing also Jonathan Reese Myers I've gone off on plenty of times <laughs> uh, that's one of our that in one of our early episodes we talked about Jonathan Reese Myers uh-huh. and I miss that people can't I, I, it's unfortunate people can't hear that that was one of our more enjoyable conversations on the show oh what did I say something awful no we both were talking about him because uh, we were talking about he was commenting on the tutors and uh-huh. that uh, he thought Americans could not accept uh, like a big overweight uh, unattractive Henry VIII and it's just like come on man first off at the time The Sopranos was huge <laughs> right. and yeah. Tony Soprano is everything you've just said yeah. and he's one of the most beloved characters not to mention Homer Simpson but uh-huh. it's just like you're trying to justify the fact that you an attractive skinny young man were cast in a role that by all rights you shouldn't have yeah it's neither here nor there but um, I, my problem with Jonathan Reese Myers stems goes all the way back to Bend It Like Beckham oh yeah because here's the thing uh, you know other actors you know um, uh, a Hugh Jackman gets cast in a Real Steel or something and he mm-hmm. he learns how to carry himself like a boxer at least yeah. at least to fake it enough for the camera yeah you know Jonathan Reese Myers and Ben Like Beckham is supposed to be playing an accomplished athlete and a, and a, and a, and a well-known respected soccer coach. And he shows, he looks so out of place in his like soccer shorts. And like, he kind of, I mean, this is the idiom. He runs like a girl Mm. for whatever that means. You know, he's dancing about the field. (laughs) That's not what I wanted to say, (laughs) but, uh, I mean, he's, you know, alongside some very athletic women. Mm -hmm. He looks the most quote unquote girlish, uh, on, on the field. And that's always, it always bothered me that, uh, like that's not acting is more than just saying the words, right? Uh, yes. And, uh, it's here, here's an example from, uh, my own life. Uh, when I would play a character that was wearing a suit, which was pretty regular because in high school, I very seldom played a character that was under 50. Uh, (laughs) and 
If there's an over 50 character in a play, he's probably going to be wearing a suit. He became well acquainted with spirit gum. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, that is the, I hate having anything on my face. Uh-huh. And that is, oh, that is the worst stuff. <laughs> but anyway, um, and so it's one of those. So I specifically tried to get used to having a tie that was like all the way up. Cause I'll, I'll regularly wear my tie like yours right now, loose with the top button on my shirt unbuttoned. But it's just like, well, I'm playing an actual corporate guy. I should probably tie that and put it all the way up. And it's like, this is uncomfortable. I don't want to wear it like this. But if it read as, un- if I was feeling uncomfortable, it would probably read as uncomfortable. Uh-huh. And I'm playing a guy who wears a tie every day. And so stuff like that, you know, you gotta, you gotta put in the time, everybody. I mean, I didn't win best actor in the state of Missouri <laughs> in the year 2000 for nothing. Let me ask you this. You're cast in a play. Okay. It's going to run for months. All right. And you play a character okay. who every night <laughs> has to eat, oh, let's say, a uh, goat. And okay. You have to eat some, 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 uh, some birria, some like goat stew, Mexican goat stew. You have to eat it every night. Okay. Do you spend a couple weeks beforehand learning to eat it without grimacing i guess i would have to <laughs> see and here's the thing uh in reservations the film by jason eakin uh, my character does have to eat something that i personally would not eat but thankfully he does not he does not care for it so i don't have to hide anything there so uh, by the way you could buy reservations from our website right i don't think so i think he's out of copies of oh it. that's too bad i know you snoozed and lost uh, uh you, you I guys believe it's home. pronounced snost you snost and you lost because uh that movie's awesome. I really enjoyed being a part of it. Yeah. Um, so back back to uh, Batman Begins and, you think and the Jason Rachel will cast me in his next movie. Sure. I don't think I don't think I don't think that guy likes me. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's no question about that. But like, if you're right for the role, he'll acknowledge. Oh, yeah, that. you're right. He cast you. Um, That's kind of yeah. <laughs> back to we've, we've fallen out. Back to Batman Begins. That was a nice healthy digression. Let's get back. Is that what that was? Yeah. So, but so, but the problem is, and this is why. You know, you said you didn't want to sound sexist, and you know what? Fair enough. That's fine. Here's the problem, though, is that whether you want to, whether you are trying not to sound sexist or not, there is a stereotype out there, true or not, of sort of like the woman who just can't be in movies, especially like the the supporting female who can't be supportive mm-hmm. of the lead male character. And if and and that's often what happens with the Rachel character, like in Batman Begins, like she is constantly saying, no, I don't agree with you. Yeah. And to have an actress who seems young trying to assert like authority that she does not have on screen, it will make the character seem all the more unlikable. Like she's just like a, a bratty kid sister. And yeah. that's and that I don't think that's she seems function. pleasant. She seems agreeable in real life. I'm oh yes, absolutely. That's what you know. What uh, there's an awful, awful movie that now I'm forgetting the name of Inception. No, that she was in. Okay. Oh, what is it? It's got a great, great cast. Uh, Derek Luke is in it. I think uh, uh, Oliver Platt maybe. Uh, oh, what is it? It's it's just it's her. Uh, she has her family over for Thanksgiving in a small oh, apartment. Pieces of April. Pieces of April. Terrible movie. Perfect role for her. Yeah, absolutely. And some good performances. Uh, uh, Patricia, Patricia Clarkson was nominated for it, and she was very oh, good at right, it. Right, yeah. Sean Hayes, uh, th- that whole character should have been cut. But um, Yeah, what is he do- And I like Sean Hayes on Will and Grace, but... No, oh, brother, yeah, that is not... I kind of want to see him in uh, The Three Stooges. Uh-huh. 
recently reviewed on uh, battleshipretention.com. Yeah. Anyway. But I think Pieces of April was already about 70 minutes long as it is. I don't think you can yeah, cut anything fair else. enough. Uh, but that's... But yeah, and so the, the I mean, Rachel character... We're spending character, all the time on Rachel. There's a yeah. lot more going on in Batman it, Begins. You know what? I don't think so. I think I think it's all about her. But uh, but you meant but that's the thing is she does provide she and and Alfred she does they do provide sort of the the conscience for Batman and she does help shape what the next what what she says helps shape the next two movies. Mm-hmm. Well, the next three movies technically, but like it's and that's why casting her was unfortunate. And that's why maybe the character should have been written a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember Batman Begins at the time. My whole thing was like, this is the first Batman movie where I've actually cared about Batman. Oh, okay. More than the villains. It's not that I cared about the villains and wanted them to win in Batman Begins, but I just, I liked spending time with them more. Whereas in Batman Begins, I enjoyed spending time with Bruce Wayne as he, as he got to know what he was trying to do. And then, but it's like, if you're going to do that and you're going to develop the Alfred character more, like... You need to develop this this girl, especially if I, and I I feel like maybe Christopher Nolan knew that in the next film he was going to kill her off, mm-hmm. and that if that's going to be a that's going to be a huge part of Bruce Wayne's life. So you really need to develop her in uh, in the first film. Not unlike, by the way, um, Gwen Stacy in the new Spider Man movie, which I think they do a pretty good job of developing. I don't know if I'd agree. Better than Rachel Dawes, I think. Um, Although what you know what that might be Emma Stone. Yeah, I I I, I don't uh, I I I like Emma Stone. I was going to say as much as the next person, but people really like Emma Stone. I like her okay. Okay, I enjoyed her on the Oscars. Uh huh. Yeah. But uh, and she did. Did you see Crazy Stupid Love? Stupid Crazy. No, Love? I didn't. It's not good. But um, there's the extended sort of montage of the first date between Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling mm-hmm. on its own. Is I, I would recommend just watching that segment on its own okay. because it's mostly them just uh, I would imagine ad libbing and fucking around with, with each other, and it's so incredibly magnetic and charming, and it's like I in that moment I see everything that everyone likes about Emma Stone so much. Okay, fair enough. Um, so right. back to Batman Begins. The other thing yeah, I want to talk about is that. that I rewatched it uh, in preparation for The Dark Knight Rises. Um, and unlike, say, a Memento, which I haven't, I haven't addressed in this episode, but I did not like Memento very much when it first came out. I thought right. it was okay, but um, I thought it was essentially a gimmick. Um, a repeat viewings. I'd say I, I, I didn't really revisit it until after it, um, after Insomnia. Um, uh, I guess that was the next film. But after Insomnia, I, I bought the DVD of <laughs> Memento. Um, and after being frustrated at how difficult it is to just watch the fucking movie on the DVD, do you have that edition? Yes, I do. It's so annoying. It's like, yes, I get it. You're bringing us into this world. Uh, yeah. And I'm sure you're all very pleased with yourselves, yeah, but I, I want to watch the movie yeah, or I want the version, special features. I want a version where I could do that once. And then next time, all right, I figured this out now. Just if I want to, I should be able yeah. to go straight to the movie. Anyway, um, but Memento grew in my estimation. Batman Begins, which I liked okay when I first saw, watched mm-hmm. again the other night, and it fell. Hmm. And I would say it's largely because of um, two things that I've talked about that sometimes work for him. The episodic structure. Mm-hmm. I think the movie has a tough time getting any steam under it uh, because it seems to be starting over every 20, or 20 25 minutes in, okay. in, in some ways uh, for me. Um, and then also... He shoots himself in the foot, I think, with the sort of puzzle reveal type thing. You know, the thing I've talked about, and I think I even said last week, 
but I'll reiterate in case people didn't listen last week because I hadn't seen the movie yet because I won't spoil Dark Knight Rises here. Um, I get uh, technically Ra's al Ghul is the main villain of Batman Begins, right? But a he's gone for so long that um, you be that I found myself coming to get say, oh, I guess that was just the setup in Scarecrow's the real villain and then when Razogu comes back it's in a different way that doesn't even tie in I mean it ties in but it isn't the same as before so that's almost like you're starting over again mm-hmm. and then Scarecrow whom I have finally given in to being invested in is uh, dealt with really just sort of haphazardly at the end yeah. you know uh, and so that so that that I feel like what I just said illustrates both the, the episodic structure you know um uh, and the the puzzle twist reveal thing working against the movie for me. I know you love this movie. I do. Better I really, than either of the other Batman. I think it probably is my favorite. And uh, and that's the thing is I'm not sure how much credit to give it here because uh, one thing. And I'm 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 far from being like a, a you know a scholar on the Batman comic books or anything. But I do know that. Um, one thing that regularly happens is that Batman will be fighting somebody only to find that somebody else is behind it all. Um, yeah. And then the person behind it could be any, really almost any character, uh, any uh, member of the uh, the rogues gallery there. And so I feel like the, the structure works because better than Dark Knight Rises where we get the reveal. Yeah, we're not spoiling Dark Knight not Rises. Not spoiling. Here. But we get the reveal um, because in... In Batman Begins, at least we see Liam Neeson. Now he's going by a different name, but his intentions are revealed as being destructive. It's not under his name, but it's under the general name, and it's under the general organization. Mm-hmm. And he's revealed as like the guy who trained him, and thus the guy who knows everything he can do, and, and being insidious. And then he goes away. And and Batman is just sort of carrying that with him. And then when he shows back up, it's like, ah, it's an, it's a neat reveal. And it does, and it does reveal that yes, Scarecrow is a more minor villain than we thought. And I, that always sorts of sort of bothers me. Um, but, uh, but I feel like as far as the Ra's al Ghul character, there is a nice, uh, bookend with that character. And so when he's gone in the middle, it doesn't bother me so much. And also I, I kind of like this a little bit and this might be a little, uh, this might be a little cheesy, uh, the film is all father figures, positive or negative. There are six of them. All right. Hold on. Okay. Let me go. There are three on one side, three on another. There's Liam Neeson. Okay. There's Commissioner Gordon. Yep. There's Alfred. Yep. There's Lucius. Yep. Who am I missing? Oh, okay. there's uh, uh, Falcone. Falcone. And there's Rutger Hauer. Oh, right, right, right. Each one is a parallel of the other, by the way. Falcone, you got Gordon. Uh, Lucius, you've got Rutger Hauer. And then uh, Ra's al Ghul, you've got Alfred. Hmm. Like, each one has a philosophy, and they, they have a different role in his life. By the way, there's also his father. There's also his father. But because he is gone, right. now Batman has to find father figures anywhere he can. Anywhere he can. And, when he's, and, of course, he's not going to choose Carmine Falcone as his father figure. But Falcone does spout certain philosophies, which is like get back to your mansion. You don't know what this is like. And it's, it's by incidentally, it's Falcone saying that that gets him started doing what he's doing. Mm-hmm. You know? So like all these, all these older men in his life help shape who he is. 
And I really like that. I feel like structurally it works really well from a character standpoint and it helps to, it helps to sort of imbue all of these characters, not so much Rutger Hauer, but to a certain extent, um, imbue these characters with real, maybe not depth, but dimension. Um, and that's when you realize like, Oh, there is no parallel to the scarecrow character. And that's how, you know, he's minor. Mm, Um, and so that's just something that I really like about it. uh, The other thing, speaking of, of Killian Murphy is that, you know, um, I, I, I think I talked about this last week too. Um, the reasons that I think are a big reason that Memento and the Dark Knight are my two favorite are because they have this strong, unpredictable character, Joe Pantoliano and Heath Ledger, you mm-hmm. know, and, and sort of a little bit of that shows up in his other films. But uh, I feel like sidelining the Scarecrow is a mistake in that sense because this, the Scarecrow is the one who's, he's not dour. He's like, nuts and weird right. and kind of darkly comic and frightening and genuinely uh, yes. yeah uh, much like the joker would be but there's not enough of him so yeah. uh, i'm missing that element but we should um we should move on i think yeah but by uh, and large like else, but, batman begins oh, yeah. is is my favorite i think because it so expertly sets the stage for the next ones and people might say the next ones are better and i'll i'm fine with you with people having that opinion it doesn't bother me it goes dark knight then rises then begins for me and but i think it's we are a, okay we do care about bruce wayne in dark knight and dark knight rises but we need a firm foundation of us caring about him and knowing who he is and what he is yeah. and batman begins does such a good job at that that uh that i i have a hard time uh faulting before it. we move on okay. one more question do you find because batman begins uh, uses Chicago so extensively for Gotham City and because we lived in Chicago when it came out mm-hmm. I find even though both Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises make it very clear that Gotham is located pretty much where New York City would be on the water yeah. I keep thinking it's in the middle of the country because I think it's Chicago I hmm. I mean I know that in the in the comic books it's like a New York City it's on the, it's on the ocean Yeah, it's on a coast uh, but I, think- I, I feel like because because of that begins because of recognizing so much of Chicago, um, and in Dark Knight, there's a lot of there's Chicago. a lot of Chicago in Dark Knight. Yeah. Um, I just keep thinking that Gotham is in the middle of the country in these in this version in this iteration. I, so I it keeps being a surprise to me when I see the ocean. I don't think that partially because of how how much they play up like the bridges, and so I think of you know Manhattan and and that sort of thing. So. Or, but do they play up the bridges in Batman Begins? No, they don't. They really don't. They do in Dark Knight and, and certainly Dark Knight Rises. Yeah. Um, also, uh, um, I need. I'm, I plan to see Dark Knight Rises again at some point. Uh, it's hard to find that much free time in one place because mm-hmm. maybe six hours long or what have you. Um, now, in Batman Begins, the the train s- system that that Bruce Wayne's father helped build and was mm-hmm. uh, integral to the city and integral to the plot of Batman Begins. Yeah is technically it's there in the background in dark Knight. They actually do show some of it. Mm-hmm. Do you remember seeing those trains at all in dark Knight rises? I didn't I even think about it until after where my friend Patrick, Patrick, uh, who I, uh, work with and who has been on the show before Patrick star. Um, he was annoyed by that, <laughs> that he didn't see the trains anywhere in dark Knight rises. I don't recall after they were so important to Batman begins. Yeah. Uh, so I, I will look for that when I watch it again to see if those, cause there's big shots of like overhead shots of the city yeah. in dark Knight rises. And you'd think that that 
that train system being so prominent would be there. Yeah, I'm. I'm working on a theory right now. Okay, <laughs> behold my process. Um, okay, there are not a lot of. Okay, first off, the train is actually fairly high up, yeah. right? Like it's not like a typical Chicago L train or anything no, like that, where it's like there. one story. It's like several stories. I don't recall in and we so we see it pretty prominently in Batman Begins. Yeah. And the Dark Knight. It is included in the Dark Knight. It's you included see, in the Dark Knight. Yeah, you but yeah, can see it. It's very prominent. It's in not Batman used Begins. in the plot of the Dark Knight at all. I don't think. Dark Knight Rises. Now, admittedly, they did shoot in a different city, so there's that. But also, I wonder. Okay, I'm sorry in advance. This might be reaching. Uh huh. There's not a lot of uh, aerial shots. There's a couple here and there when he's like in the actual. Uh, plane or whatever but for the most part it stays street level well, or under uh, again we're getting towards spoiler territory but there's a major shot of explosions going on all over the city that's true that is you're seeing a huge portion of the city at once yeah um and i think that i don't Pittsburgh. think that's a spoiler i think we see that in the trailer yeah i think that i can't like yeah i mean okay so Batman begins and dark knight are almost entirely chicago mm. um but Dark Knight Rises is not Chicago at all, I don't think. Right. I think it's Philadelphia and Los no. Angeles. Is it Philadelphia? It's New York City, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, and Los Angeles. Okay, Pittsburgh. And the Los Angeles stuff sticks out so much to me. Yeah. Because, uh, well, Blue Street Signs, which are still weird to me. I've lived here seven years. I still find them weird. Right? Right. <laughs> street Signs are green almost everywhere else in the, everywhere else. In the country. Um, anyway, that's the main thing I was going to say. But Pittsburgh I recognize yeah. because the, the football stadium is Heinz Field. Oh, okay. That's, yeah. Uh, but what I was thinking just from a from a thematic standpoint, perhaps because uh, all right, because in the first two, Batman is sort of a sort of above everything and kind of in control to a certain extent. Okay. And then in Dark Knight Rises, he is, pardon me, brought low, which is why he has to rise. And yeah, so yeah. maybe that's why they try to keep everything at street level or below. I like it. And that's why they won't show something that's four or five stories up. I like it. All right. I, I'm not. That's based on one viewing, and I just came up with it. I don't think it probably holds up. Let's talk about the prestige, and then okay. we can sort of burn through the last three. That's true. Yeah, um, we can. All right. <laughs> all right. Well, you talk about the prestige, because this is another one that I, okay. like Insomnia, I haven't seen. I've seen it once, and it was when it was new to uh, DVD. Mm-hmm. And uh, unlike Insomnia, I didn't like it very much. Okay. So, I love the prestige. There are... And this can be said about every Nolan film, so I'll say it and get out of the way. There are some logical flaws, mm-hmm. and not merely magic, uh, but like little things like uh, the girl drowning. She drowns, and the, the I mean, so much. Uh, correct me if I get off track, because like okay. I said, it's been a while. But so much of the plot depends on what kind of knot was used. Am I right? Yes. Uh, she's dead right there in front of in front of them why don't you check right then you you save yourself all the years of rivalry if you check right then and are sure what kind of knot was used i guess there's that but perhaps in the hustle and bustle people aren't thinking about it or maybe she did manage to get it undone i don't remember this Uh, maybe she did manage to get it undone but not in time but my just i remember watching alfred because alfred (laughs) alfred has to come out with his axe right and uh um i just remember that the knot is you know, 
foreshadowed. They're, they're talking about the different kinds of knots yeah. early on. So when that happened, while I was watching it, I was thinking, it's right there. Why don't you check? And then I think it kind of put it like, honestly, it's, it might seem like a small thing, but it kind of poisoned the rest of the movie for me. Because the whole thing hinges on on this, right? Uh, for for one character, yes, yeah. Um, and, and and but it also does go to the idea. We can do spoilers for Prestige, right? I, yeah. I think okay. So. Um, it plays a big role in that, like you know, when the character says, "Like, what kind of knot did you tie?" and he says, "I don't know," and he's like, "How can you not know?" And then it goes to the idea. It's like, well, he's asking the wrong one. He's asking one of the. He's asking the wrong twin. Right, because it was the other twin that tied the knot, and so when he's talking to this one, he's like, I, "I, I, I don't know. I'm sorry, I can't." But he can't say why. He can't say that. Right. So he can only say, "I don't know." So structurally, I understand why. But yes, at the same time, although you know, I mean, when you're thinking about it, like when he's like holding his wife. Now, admittedly, he could look down and be like, "Oh, this is so terrible." Huh. Interesting. Moving on. Oh, it's so terrible. But like you know, maybe he uh, didn't think about it in the moment. Uh, like the kind of guy who would become that obsessed with revenge, with vengeance, would probably immediately want someone to blame, right? Maybe not immediately. Maybe he doesn't know that there is something to blame. Maybe he's not thinking back on the conversation immediately. I guess so. Maybe it says something about me that I would have. I would have checked my wife's dead body. <laughs> For, for the knot well uh, almost immediately you know where we live in a more sophisticated time so um <laughs> does not apply at all no, no the, the detail that gets me is that michael kane alfred uh alfie as i like to call him um oh hey so uh he's looking at his watch he's got axe in hand he's looking at the watch looking at the second hand and when it reaches like a minute that's when it's like i gotta go and bust this thing open uh and so a minute goes by, and then he goes and busts it open, and she's drowned. It's like, how about this? 45 seconds. If she's, dr- if she's dead in a minute, maybe make that 45 seconds. <laughs> right. You know, maybe after 45 seconds, like, I think I'm going to at least start out there. Yeah. Um, but that's just... That's, gonna, uh, yeah, I have to walk to the case. Yeah. It's going to take me a couple of whacks. Exactly. Yeah. Easily 10 seconds to get the glass broken. Right. 45 seconds. All right. <laughs> that's... Okay. So th- but those are, those are small points. Um, can I tell you what I love about the movie? They're small points, but they, you know, they can add up to big things, as they did for you. But you were saying. Can I tell you what I love about the movie? Sure. David Bowie. D- absolutely. And, and not only just the fact that it's David Bowie and he's awesome, but really all this stuff with Tesla I think is really cool. Yeah. It's pretty much, pretty much my favorite part of the movie. Um, I, I think. Even though, and I like that, uh, again, going back to this episodic structure, I think that there's more stuff, there's more stuff with Tesla than there technically needs to be for the plot right uh but i like that that it lives in that and there's a parallel there even though we never see edison um oh, right, we right. see like yeah. these two guys competing and much like we see uh christian bale and hugh jackman yeah, good point um and that's something I, I i tend to like parallels when they're there and christopher nolan tends to deal in parallels and i like that um but uh but the thing is First off, I think it's shot really well. I think it's. I think there's a really nice sense of art direction, a sense of place. Um, Scarlett Johansson, general waste of a, of a character and an actress. Um, I think like she's basically just there as a sort of witness to everything that's happening and and a, a pawn to be used between these two guys. Which that can be interesting, but like give us maybe two scenes more of her. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. She's, uh, but I don't get to, you know, I don't get to know her in the film. Sort of like David Fincher. She's someone that I've come around on a little bit and largely because of the Avengers. I think, really, I think she's really good in the Avengers. I think she's, I liked her in match point. I liked her in ghost world. Um, um, I don't know. I, I love that character in ghost world. Yeah. Like, uh, she is, uh, who I would be in that situation yeah. very much. Um, but, um, yeah. And, and maybe like now that I've reevaluated her, I should go back and watch it and see if that was in her performance or just more on the, on the page. But I didn't think, I remember thinking her performance was really good and, uh, and she has a hard role to play in match point. And I think she does pretty well for yeah, that. I just part. don't like that. Movie. I like her in, um, what's someone thinking of the man who wasn't there. Yeah. Yeah. I like her man. in that. But I think she does a lot with a little in the Avengers. Yeah, and uh, very much it, so. It really made me want to go back and and and, and reevaluate her because I might have under undervalued her. All right, well that's good. I'm glad. I uh, yeah, I was kind of iffy on her for like I liked her for a while, and then it's like ah, she's not really doing you know a lot with this. And then the Avengers, it's like oh hey, look, she's back. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, I think she's she's underused in, in the Prestige, and that's that's unfortunate. But uh, the thing that I really like, and you can listen at length to my more than one lesson episode about the prestige in which a friend of the show, Jason Eakin and I talk about it, uh, for, I think well over two hours. Uh, I, it does seem to be a surprisingly personal film for Christopher Nolan. Um, inception may be the story that he's wanted he'd wanted to tell for so long mm-hmm. but the prestige seems to be him looking at himself and when you say he artist. wanted to tell it for so long you mean he wanted to take so long to tell it <laughs> one way or the other hey you know why don't why limit ourselves um but the prestige like clearly i think he was examining himself as an artist certainly after making batman begins a, cl- a crowd pleaser of a film because the prestige is all about craft versus as you said earlier showmanship mm-hmm. and so many people like ourselves would say, well, craft is what's important, you know, an artist making, you know, challenging himself and mm-hmm. really, and, and exploring the genre for himself, you know, don't pander to the audience. Don't worry about them. Um, and I'm sure maybe that's what Christopher Nolan felt for a long time. Then he makes Batman begins the thing that, you know, makes him maybe not a household name, but like, basically makes the rest of his career. And so I'm sure he was feeling like, do I go back to making Memento and Insomnia or do I embrace Memento has a lot of showmanship though. There's a lot of showmanship, but I mean like crowd, the point where I mean crowd pleasing. Me the first time. Yeah. I don't mean showmanship as far as like how he's presenting something, okay. but thinking about the audience. I see what you mean. I see. And incorporating what they expect and what you think they should have into the art that you're putting out there. And I think he might have been uncomfortable with that in Batman Begins because I'm sure he was working with a, you know, a lot of studio notes and that sort of thing. Um, and so the prestige seems to be him as, he, him as an artist examining the two sides of him. And to his credit, and this is something that I like, while I think the hero of the film is Christian Bale, Christian Bales, there's two of them, um, okay. Christian's bail. Sorry. That's how, <laughs> yeah, that's how it is. Um, the, uh, well, I think one of my favorite onion headlines ever was William Sapphire orders two Whoppers Jr. <laughs> uh, that's very funny. Um, but, uh, so while that character is undeniably the hero, 
um, not merely because of what he's able to do, but his just sheer level of commitment to it. We then see we are, and Hugh Jackman is, I guess, the villain of sorts. The fact that he's willing to give Hugh Jackman his due and see that he loves giving the crowd what it wants, not in this, not in a pandering way, but because he wants. Admittedly, he wants to feel their love coming back to him, but he wants them to be excited. He wants them to be enthusiastic. You know, he understands that there is a relationship between the audience and the artist. If the artist is only thinking about himself, then that's that's self-indulgence. And you won't get any sort of challenge if you're only doing it for yourself. The audience provides that challenge. Mm. Um, and so, like, just that that give and take and the fact that he casts somebody as inherently likable as Hugh Jackman. I think Hugh Jackman's doing – I think everybody's doing great work, but I really responded to Hugh Jackman's character in that. I like that guy. I do, too. I don't think anybody can't. <laughs> yeah. He's a likable guy. Yeah. Um, but to cast somebody, you know, who at the time – hmm just thought of this too okay if this is if this is christopher nolan reflecting on what it would be like or what it has been like for him to be part of the batman franchise it and and if hugh jackman's character is sort of representative of a larger franchise something that uh pleases crowds it's like oh you cast wolverine yeah you cast somebody that already has more so than Christian Bale, the American Psycho at that point, uh, not yeah. Batman. Uh, Batman to a certain extent, but we we weren't totally as comfortable with him yet as we were with uh, with Hugh Jackman. And so, That's true. I, so maybe, Although, I mean, not not to undercut Brian Singer's uh, X Men films, which have plenty of uh, lofty goals and themes. Of their very own. much so, but X-Men yeah, they too, are especially. Uh, yeah, but they are more um, crowd pleasing yeah uh, or immediately crowd pleasing and they are wolverine's films and so in casting the guy who plays wolverine i mean i think it's it's worth noting like because we bring a certain the audience it's like he's considering us the audience as well in a movie about considering the audience we're bringing baggage to this as well and seeing oh what's what's batman gonna do oh batman versus wolverine watch out <laughs> you know and we have more experience with wolverine wolverine is we're more comfortable with him and he's somebody and the character is somebody who's more comfortable uh, dealing with the audience and that's the thing is so there's a lot of details in the prestige that i don't stand by and some structural things like with scarlett johansson's character but in what he's exploring and how he's exploring it and the fact that he never comes down on one side or the other, but I think he understands that if these two men, three men technically, mm-hmm. if these men were to work together, it would be the best magic act ever. Right. But each of them represents only one perspective. And I really like that. And what if you if, want to hear more about this, morethanonelesson.com. What if the three of them got together with Nikola Tesla? <sighs> then they'd be really, really the best. They would... I think they would just, you know, bust down Thomas Edison's door and beat him to death. What if this is the new take on sort of spin on the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen format? Ah. Batman, Wolverine, <laughs> Nikola and Tesla. David, and David Bowie. <laughs> right. <laughs> and Gollum. Let's get Gollum in there, too. Yeah, let's do that. Um, and the Black Widow. And, and Alfie. Black Widow. <laughs> no, uh, it would be... I was uh, going to go with his character from Jaws 4. Oh, okay. Yeah, I guess there's that. Also, uh, Carter. Oh, from, sure, yeah. From the original yeah. Get Carter. There you go. There's your super team. That's a good Get team. on it, Alan Moore. Okay. Um, all right, so The Dark Knight, we've done an entire episode on four years ago. It should still be available, yes? Yes. Um, uh, with, with with Pat Pat Francis. Um, 
but uh, I, I just want to talk about how, how how great it is mostly to to me. And I feel like I went through a period of maybe slagging it off a little bit because it's it doesn't hold up as well in repeat viewings, and I right. com- I completely stand by that assessment. Mm-hmm. But maybe I think in the viewing of Dark Knight Rises, Dark Knight has Dark Knight has risen. Oh, <laughs> you watch out! Um, because it's uh, uh, again, I don't hate Dark Knight Rises, but the Dark Knight is so much better to me. Yeah, I think so, and and that's one that yeah, like like yourself, I liked it when I first saw it. Then I saw it again, I was like. Yes, it's good. Still pretty good, um, but I, there's some really on the nose stuff and an unfortunate use of Nikki Cat and you know stuff really like that. Really unfortunate. And um, then, but, but like the, the the scene in a, in a hospital room between Joker and Two Face, I guess before he's really quite become, it's sort of the turning point where he kind of becomes Two Face. Yeah. Um, I thought that was that scene was amazing the first time I saw it because Heath Ledger and Aaron Eckhart are so amazing. Yeah. And playing off each other, and the second time when I'm actually thinking about what's being said, mm-hmm. it has that that really on the nose yeah. uh, quality. Now, th- but that's the thing is like even when it's being on the nose, uh, there because it has good actors we, and good characters, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, uh, delivering them in that scene, yeah, it's still pretty on the nose. Like he's, you know, I'm I'm a dog. I wouldn't chasing a car. I wouldn't know what to do with that if if I caught it. Like the Joker sure is like, and and I guess the character of the Joker is constantly thinking about himself and uh-huh. how he comes across. But there is one part in that scene that I still love to this day. And it's, a, and it's, it's basically when both characters are at, they are now Joker and two face. Uh-huh. And it's when it's when uh, Joker puts a gun in his hand, aims it at his head. And he and he says, you know, I don't remember exactly what he says, but then two face, takes the coin says you live you die and the look i'm not a huge fan of heath ledger's performance in general (laughs) okay but the look on his face in that moment and he says oh now you're talking (laughs) like it's an it's a little moment where it's like wow he's embraced this more than i ever thought he would (laughs) just like that's a special kind of batshit well done harvey (laughs) like it's it's really uh i don't know it's and and it's that kind of by the way uh, villains don't in the in the Nolan films. Villains don't often encounter each other. Uh, Batman's usually dealing with one at a time. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas if you watch the animated series or or even read the comic books, like to watch the villains like relationship to one another uh-huh. um, is often a joy to behold because they don't like each other, right? But they and they each have their own history and they probably have a history with one another and and that sort of thing. Uh, and that little moment. Where Joker's like, oh shit, man, this guy is, this guy's crazy. Uh, uh, I I really liked that and really responded to it. Um, I I want to uh, bring it back to Nolan's themes, um, and I'm not, I'm not talking about specific themes, but I'm talking about just the way he handles his themes, uh, which is that just how much they dictate the movie and how much control the themes and the morals of mm-hmm. his films have over the movie and the thing that's that i think makes the dark knight stand out is that he's got this character who uh it's almost like christopher and jonathan nolan are like uh creating a movie and in the creation of the movie they have to fight the joker because he is he's fucking with their formula yeah uh, you know uh he's he's keeping everything from being about the 
uh, about the morals and, and he's keeping everything from being centered. You know, mm-hmm. Christopher Nolan does stay, tend to stay, uh, though he, he, you know, um, his films will narratively uh, wander a bit. It tends to stay thematically and moralistically very much on point the mm. entire time. And the Joker keeps coming in and being unpredictable and changing that. And yeah. I think that's why that's a big part of why the movie is so exciting to me because it 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 really it doesn't just feel like Bruce Wayne dealing with the fact that he has this code and he expects the people he fights to have a code of their own. Yeah. Uh, but now he has to deal with the Joker not having any real code at all except for the absence of a code uh you don't just see bruce knight bruce, bruce knight but you don't just see bruce and wayne, wayne. <laughs> yeah <laughs> you don't just see bruce wayne and batman um fighting that you kind of see the nolan brothers fighting that very much so and uh and maybe they uh maybe they put a little too much time into that like that whole sequence uh, with the two fairies uh i I appreciate what they're trying to do there. I don't think Joker's plan works out quite so well. Uh, well, obviously it doesn't work out well because it doesn't, doesn't go the way he expects. But what I mean is basically here's how he sets it up. I'm going to blow both of you up at midnight unless one of you blows the other up. That to me is too cut and dry. Because then it's like, well, now we have, if we're going to stay alive at all, we have to blow that other one up. Because if we don't, it like that other one's going to die one way or the other. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? The only way to guarantee that not everybody dies is to blow up that one. Like that is, a, I think, a little too cut and dry. If, if the Joker had said something a little more, a little more like, if you don't blow each other up, then I decide who gets blown up. Because then it's like, it might be me, it might not. The only way to guarantee it isn't me. Is right. to blow this one up, but it might not be me anyway. You know what I mean? Like that, I think yeah, gives I, people I, a little more leeway. I've got no, uh, I've got no argument against that. Okay, uh, stuff like that. But um, but yeah, I, I. But also the uh, the the bat motorcycle thing is really cool. <laughs> <laughs> See, it's the it's it's comments like that that, that uh, make you want to listen to Battleship Pretension and our insightful commentary every week. About motor- you don't even know it's called the Bat Pod. The Bat Motorcycle thing is pretty it cool. Is, it's it's called the Bat Pod, but I don't like that name. I don't either. Yeah, so it's called the Bats. I'm going to call the Bat Cycle. Okay, because uh, I even found myself thinking again in Dark Knight Rises. Uh, when it's in there, going like, "Oh, that thing. That's right. That thing is really cool. I love the way it turns corners." Yeah. It's really awesome. Um, so, and I have, I have a lot of stuff to say about Dark Knight and like it's the morality behind it and and what it's exploring, like a certain ni- exploring nihilism and, and that sort of thing and how, I mean, but I don't really want to talk about that because I talked about that at length on a more yeah. than one lesson episode. So we won't. But I will t- you know, it's not just about um, saying nihilism is bad. Mm-hmm. It's also saying that. Uh, Bruce Wayne's dogmatic approach is bad. Well, I think what it's saying is is that I'm not even sure if I would venture to say bad, but it's saying that like nihilism is really in the only thing that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's it's not unlike uh, an Anton Chigurh and this, the things that he says, and that mm-hmm. like. You know, if you followed the if you followed a rule your whole life and it led you to this point, what good was the rule? And it's 
and it's uh, Joker saying you have all these rules and you think they'll save you. Like, what is the point of what? What's the point of rules if you're still going to get killed by a madman? You know, and and what's more is he he's chosen not to obey your rules. What if 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 the only appeal you have to him or to anybody is well, you're not obeying the rule. What do you do when you run up against somebody who doesn't obey the rules? You know, it only. The only thing that makes sense is a life without rules is something that he says. And to a certain extent, and that's, you know, to, I, I agree with him in an abstract way, <laughs> you know, I, but then of course my own personal beliefs get involved and I believe that there is a, sorry everybody, I believe that there is a rule maker that is outside of humans, outside of people, and only when there is something outside of us can we actually appeal to an objective thing. Otherwise, it's just you and I just making up our rules. And yeah. all I have to say is I don't agree with your rule. And then we're, uh, we are literally in chaos. An agent, he's an agent of chaos. And, uh, like and I get just, smart. Like get, <laughs> <laughs> oh, if only Batman had a cone of silence. <laughs> but uh, And that's the thing is the, the film brings up in really the only way – like joker's dialogue is on the nose but you can get away with it because a it's that performance and b it's the joker you can make him be on the nose because when you're going to be on the nose right before he slits somebody's cheek okay i'm fine with that he's not a subtle person um there's not a lot of nuance to the joker um and and i i while i am sometimes a little iffy about uh heath ledger's performance um again you're crazy I know, I know. Um, I see the strings, and let's not go back to that episode. Good lord! Um, but uh, so yeah, it's. I, I tend to like a lot of the themes that he explores, even if I'm not thrilled about the way he explores them, which I usually am. Um, I just like that he's willing to do that, and that might go against what I was saying at the beginning of the episode, not the very beginning, a half hour in. Um, about uh you know he takes these things very seriously and that's not necessarily a bad thing but absent is and we'll talk more about the dark knight rises and the fact that it comes out a little bit yeah the same year as the avengers like absent is mostly the sense of fun and the scary fun of yeah like dark knight is not fun in the way that the avengers is fun right but it is fun in uh in the sense that it is dangerous yeah there's a roller coaster ride quality to yeah. it. Um, well, let's, let's and that, that might be why I prefer Batman Begins, but I think Dark Knight is probably the better film because I think it manages to juggle everything it's supposed to be while not sacrificing mm-hmm. what he wants to do. You know, I, I think to a certain extent, maybe he came down, maybe he made the prestige so that he could make the Dark Knight the way he felt right. it should be made. All right, let's move on to, Incep- to Inception, which on Saturday. I was flipping through channels and happened to notice that Inception was on Cinemax, and so I watched some of it. Okay. Because it had been a couple years. And um, this had two main effects. The first one being that later that night when I came home and turned on my television, it was on Cinemax and there was porn on. Oh, okay. I mean, softcore porn. Of course. But yes. it was... It was. I was watching a loud movie in the middle of the day, and suddenly I'm home at, like, ah. like after midnight, and I turn on the TV, and it's just, you know... Uh, two women pretending that they're enjoying being lesbians together <laughs> in a very loud and obnoxious way. Um, uh, <laughs> so that was the, the number one effect of watching Inception. The number two effect was 
pretty much bolstering everything I felt about it in the first place in that I found myself, but it, it, you know, in some ways thinking something you talked about, about the cast, Mm -hmm. you know, and thinking like, wow, I would love to see a movie where Joseph Gordon Levitt and Ellen page get to play off each other. And I'm interested in it because I like, I like their chemistry together. I just don't like anything that's going on except for the one part where he tricks her into giving me, giving him a kiss, which is the only, it might be the only line in the movie that isn't expositional. <laughs> and that's an exaggeration. But it yeah. is the only sort of levity in, in the movie. I know people will say that Tom Hardy's character is, is funny, but just being like sarcastic doesn't make you funny. Right. And also, I don't know who that character is. <laughs> right. You know, like, I, 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 I don't know. I find that when somebody serves as a comic relief, it helps to know that they are serving as more than simply that that they are more than merely a plot machination, that they are a real person who actually thinks these things mm-hmm. and feels the need to break the tension a little bit yeah. with his jokes. Yes, and this is Christopher Nolan's problem with uh, Comic Relief going back to Nicky Cat in not one but two roles, where he is he's in Insomnia too, right? He's one of the other cops. Oh, yes, he is, yeah. although he's pretty funny in Insomnia. Well, he gets the, jo- the what's got two thumbs and likes blowjobs, this guy. This guy, right. <laughs> he delivers that well. You're right, you're right. But compare compare Nicky Cat in Insomnia to Nicky Cat in Limey, and it's uh, night right. day. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, but but yeah, uh, I I generally felt uh, bored for most of what I was watching, and then annoyed. Like I know, uh, in, we, we've talked about him like the way he likes to uh make puzzles and tricks and he likes to fuck with the audience mm-hmm. but there's is it between that kind of like being fucked with and the what i feel when i watch inception which is like oh he's just fucking with me you know yeah. what i mean like uh i watched i watched some of it and then i went and did another thing um and then i came back and i turned it on and it was like Ellen Page and Leonardo DiCaprio are in like the snow or they're in, no, they're in the whatever, the weird like limbo world or something. Mm-hmm. And then she like falls out the window and it's like this big dramatic shot of her like falling against the green screen CGI background. And then she wakes up and she's just in another, she's just in the snow level of the dream. And it's mm-hmm. like, what are the fucking stakes here? I don't know what's going on. Yeah. Or no, I do know. I know way too much about what's going on. Cause all you've been doing is telling me for the past four and a half hours <laughs> what the story is. And so, um, I, I didn't mean to be this mean, but, uh, I happened to watch them again the other day and it got my ire up again. The thing that gets me about it is that I think it is a brilliantly directed film. I think it looks great. I think it feels great. I, a, lo- you, a lot of that goes down to, could be I, put down to Wally Fister. Hey, right I was going to say, I don't think you can go wrong with Wally Fister. Yeah, he's, he's wonderful. And so he has the bees knees. He sure is. Oh, you know what that saying? I don't like you saying it All to right. me. All right. You know what he is? What's that? He's the cat's pajamas. All right. <laughs> That's a better Fair one. enough. There's a lot of cute cats around me. Um, so I think it's the thing that gets me is, okay, look at that cast and now look at, look at the budget that he clearly had and look at, look at how ambitious he was and how much he was able to achieve. If only, if only it had been a better script, mm-hmm. like it all comes down to the script. I believe this is the only one he's written by himself, right? Oh, maybe that's true. I didn't. And I think that makes all the difference because it it feels like somebody who's not that comfortable writing. It feels like somebody who who's who has like these these ideas to explore, but is worried that like he's going to leave people behind. So he'll a script that's already written. He'll cram some exposition in, and then oh shoot, 
there are no steaks. Everybody's just asleep. Oh, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Let me cram some steaks in here and say that if you die while you're asleep in this state, you, uh, you could be in a coma or something. I, I don't know. Like, it, just, it, it has that feeling of like just being doctored to death by somebody who is not a script doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as on the nose as like Jonathan Nolan could be, he's, he was great with structure and I think he can soften up some of those uh, some of those lines a little bit. You know they should have brought in as a script doctor? Who's that? Joss Whedon. Oh, man. Do you know why I say that? Because I watched, again, this weekend, I was all about watching movies that have me on cable. Okay. And I watched pretty much all of Speed. I missed the, I missed the opening elevator thing. Okay. Um, but uh, all of Speed, which is ludicrous. It's a ludicrous movie. It sure is. But uh, it holds ludicrous up. Ludicrous Speed? <laughs> yes. It's from Spaceballs. Right. Um it holds up, and a lot of that is down to uh, Jan DeBont's, uh direction. And I, I didn't write down the name of, or don't remember the name of the editor, but uh, the pacing of speed is perfect, and yeah. it does not miss. Yeah. And that's very important to that. But also, even though he's not credited, I looked it up afterwards. Uh, Graham Yost, who's also very talented, mm-hmm. is the credited screenwriter and came up with the story and all the stuff that happened. But Graham Yost himself admits. Uh, freely that almost literally almost every single bit of dialogue in speed was written by joss whedon and uh, uh i could I, I i feel it yeah watching it uh watching it again um that definitely uh comes through and so i i guess what i'm saying is that someone who has that skill set that is separate from storytelling yeah you know you know what i mean yeah but the, that script doctor skill set might have made inception a little more tolerable yeah like Christopher Nolan is a visual storyteller and that is not a that is not a bad thing to be. That's a wonderful thing to be when you're a director. There's no you don't have to be you don't have to do everything. Mm-hmm. You know, you can bring somebody else in. It's perfectly you can bring in How about this? Your own brother. You've done it before. Right. I don't know if you brought him in. You guys have worked on stuff before. It's yeah. perfectly fine. It's just it's Speaking such a which- deeply flawed script. And that's the thing is with that cast I don't think there's that much they could do with that script. Like it's when people are just sitting around explaining things, there's not much you can do. I think. Um, speaking of which, are you uh, at all excited about after earth? We might've uh, talked about it when we did our comic con preview episode. I think you've explained it to me. Which one it, is that? It's the first movie. M night Shyamalan has directed that he did not write. Oh no, I don't think we did talk about that. That makes me excited. Cause the I very still concept think, of it makes me excited. I, yeah. Yeah. I still think he's a good visual storyteller anyway that's beside the point anything else about inception just just that like i can't talk about it at length i can't bring myself to just hate it you know because there's so much there that is interesting visually it just you know it grinds to it just grinds to a halt so often and that is purely a function of of the script so i can't bring myself to love it he also i like he's an inconsistent uh, i can't figure out him as an action director because he'll have amazing things like the truck chase in the dark mm-hmm. Knight or the um spinning hallway fight in inception which is yeah. awesome and like as much as i hate the movie like almost worth worth it to me to buy the dvd because yeah. that's it's so impressive to me what's done in that thing but then he also has uh, a lot of his movies have clunky action sequences like um the snowbound like part in inception which i think does never gets my pulse up you know and even the big train thing at the end of batman begins i I think doesn't doesn't work for me it feels uh clumsy so i can't figure him out as an action director is what i'm saying 
Yeah, he seems to, I don't know, when the, well, no, I was going to say, like, maybe he's not great at directing, like, choreography, but I mean, that's, that hallway thing is, you know, there's a yeah, lot of, hu- like, human choreography, I mean, but there's a lot of that in the, in the hallway sequence. Yeah. And, that's what, as that's we, what makes it. and in Dark Knight Rises, okay, there's a wonderful one, man-to-man fight uh, between Batman and Bane that I think is choreographed really well. Yeah. All the better. Which be- one are you talking about? The first one? The or? first one. Yeah. There's chore- the second one's not bad either, but that first one, it's choreographed really well, particularly because it certainly does not feel choreographed. It just feels brutal and just just horrendous. And he mm-hmm. shoots it really well because like there's, and he just makes a lot of good choices there. Like there's no music. Uh, there's not a lot of cl- cutting into close-ups. It's just, it's often in medium shot and just matter of fact. It's just, like it, it, he he clearly doesn't feel the need to comment on what's happening. He'd much rather just sit, have a sit back and watch with horror mm-hmm. as our hero gets the shit beat out of him oh, well, by this monster. Yeah, let's let's tread lightly. Yeah, sorry, I forgot that last week was the spoiler. spoiler <laughs> right. um, uh, yeah, but I mean, Dark Knight Rises starts with something that I don't know. And maybe we can start wrapping up here since we've gone well over two hours at this yeah. point. Um, uh, going back to, I guess, the prestige thing, mm-hmm. the opening, I guess, sequence, long sequence of The Dark Knight Rises, which seems like, as far as, I'm not sure, I'm not sure if it was the most expensive thing that happened in the movie, but as far as the money being up there on the screen, it mm-hmm. is, it is fucking impressive. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Uh, it's in the, tr- it's featured prominently in the trailer. But not not all the details of it. Not all the details. Yeah, it has to do with air, an air, a couple airplanes. Yeah, that, that's the part that's in the okay. Air. Yeah, and then I'll, I'll I'll I guess I'll bring up my uh, qualm with it uh, off air. Okay, but I'm just saying in in terms of him learning how to just do spectacle, just give yeah. the audience something spectacular, like you know, because the, the the thing that happens in that scene doesn't have to happen. Like midair amongst two airplanes, right. yeah. you know, could have been a couple of trucks. <laughs> yeah, you know? it, but he's, you know, what he already dealt with uh, trucks. It could have happened on the tarmac before they got in the airplane. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, but um, uh, that that was so. I, I I guess I went into I, I said this last week, but started the Dark Knight Rises. You know, the, that first five ten minutes, very excited mm-hmm. because it was uh, following through on that that crowd-pleasing level in a way that wasn't cynical or condescending like right. so many crowd-pleasers can be. Right. Um, uh, and so that seems to be something maybe if the prestige is a linchpin, it shows that he's learned a little something. I think so. I hope so. Um, and just – and we do, we certainly don't have to go into a great deal of detail uh, about our opinion of the film. We because spent we two hours week. doing that. But um, insofar as like how it fits in with his overall uh, – career and uh, and what he's what he's done i think it i think it fits in pretty well i don't what what would you say i know that i know that you said dark knight and memento are your favorite of his films what would you say is his best oh um i would probably still say the dark knight i think i might too actually um dark knight rises probably uh probably a step down but at the same time like he's just he is a he is a director that I don't think he's complacent. I don't think I would ever accuse him of being complacent. Like he seems very interested in improving himself mm-hmm. uh, and challenging himself and challenging us to a certain extent. Um, and he clearly 
took this material very seriously, incorporated some interesting political things, some moral things. Um, and, uh, and so it really does, I, I think it was a nice capper to, uh, the Batman series. And you know what? He is somebody that I'm, we, we were talking earlier about filmmakers that like, we're, we're eager to see what, what they do next. I'm intrigued to see what he does next. Like, what can he do after this? I assume it'll have to be, not have to be, but I feel like it'll probably be something a little smaller, like mm. uh, like an Insomnia or a, or a Prestige, which Prestige is not a small movie, but compared to Inception and yeah, yeah. Dark Knight, it's much smaller. Like, I, I hope and, he does something like you that. You know, just doing this episode has maybe gotten me to a point where I would, yeah, I'm interested to see what he does next. Yeah, it's he is a he's a genuinely good director. He's not perfect, but he's always, in my view, interesting. And uh, you could do a lot worse than a director who is very capable and always interesting. And tell stories that I tend to like. Sure. So. Uh, yeah, they definitely are themes that I think you seem to come up a lot <laughs> for you. Yeah. Wait, uh, what is that supposed to mean? Uh, let's see. Um, Crippling guilt? Yeah, self, uh, <laughs> self-punishment. Yeah. <laughs> yes, guilt, remorse, obsession. These are definitely things that seem to come up in, in your... Uh, I would, would I mean? Would you characterize yourself that way? I guess so. <laughs> I'm not saying anything insulting. I'm saying There's good stuff too. But I guess he doesn't explore that. No, I'm just saying that I pay attention to what interests you and what you talk and write about, and that seems to be your. What are What are my pet themes? I have an idea of what they are. Hmm. See, now I'm just trying to think of you as a person and the things I don't like. <laughs> but that is overwhelming me. Um, <laughs> well, let's let's go with you. I'm interested to see. I. I have some ideas about what yours might be, but I'm more interested to see. Let's let's play match game here. No match game, newlywed game. What would your answers be for yours? I think, and I found this while putting together my list for film school rejects when they asked us to contribute our, to to their own version of the sight and sound poll. Mm-hmm. I uh, was almost surprised to find how much of a preoccupation I have with uh, sexual obsession or sexual repression or other forms of social anxiety and social repression, but yeah. mostly sexual. Uh, I, what I would say is, uh, you said social anxiety. Uh, that is a, an offshoot of what I would say is the major thing that I've noticed for you. Stuff that you tend to okay. enjoy um, is things that, que- uh, things that question social norms, either the content of the film or how it is told. Okay, and so if something is going to explore sexual repression or have a character who deals with social anxiety, that's somebody who is ill at ease with the world in which he lives. Which I would say, to a certain extent, you are as well. Yeah. All right. This was fun. Uh, a little <laughs> analyzing each other thing there. Um, so uh, if you have opinions on uh, what you think our pet themes are, email them to us <laughs> at uh, David at Battleship Retention or Tyler at Battleship Retention. You can also find these episodes and lots of uh, reviews and other written uh, such things uh, at um, other such written things at uh, battleshippretension.com which is a working website now <laughs> we had a yeah we had a little uh, hiccup there but yeah. that was not our fault that was a fault of our uh, server on the west coast so uh, yeah um, uh, our, our servant on the west coast uh, <laughs> you really dropped the ball <laughs> um, 
so yeah uh, that's how you can find us you can email us uh, you can follow us on Twitter which I would totally recommend uh, I'm at twitter.com slash the pretension Tyler's at twitter.com slash more lessons which is the official Twitter of his other podcast more than one lesson which you can find at more than one lesson.com and you can find my other podcast a member of the BP fleet uh, the weekly television review wrap-up show previously on that's at previously on show.com also um tweakedaudio.com slash pretension oh, yeah. Forgot all about uh, that. definitely Sorry. check out their awesome earbuds because um, if you buy uh, if you if you go through that portal tweakedaudio.com slash pretension you get um, you get you get a discount and some free shipping and uh, they're uh, really you know professional quality earbuds in a number of uh, colors and styles and we see a piece of it and if you already have all the tweaked if you've if you've already bought tweakedaudio.com earbuds the requisite six pairs um yeah. you can just donate directly to us it's sure. on the website and it would help yeah. we've got some you know possible travel expenses coming up in the new year mm-hmm. that uh, we're, we're looking into to bring you some more content it would help if you could uh donate yeah come on um <laughs> For a moment when you said when you go through that portal, my first thought was you saying, like, you ain't never coming back. (laughs) Um, But uh, a couple things uh, real quick. Number one, I want to remind everybody, uh, cue the day. You can find it at uh, battleshippretension.com. There will be a specific page under the podcast section, uh, so you can uh, find out more about that. Uh, And then also my other podcast, More Than One Lesson. Uh, It will not be up uh, as you're hearing this, but it will be up. Uh, in a couple of days, I'll be doing an episode of More Than One Lesson about uh, Rachel getting married. Oh, that's a oh, great movie. My mm-hmm. favorite of 2008. Um, let me say something about More Than One Lesson. Because I already mentioned the, the Onion once today. Okay. You read The Onion. Yes, I do. Do you know the uh, columnist Jim Ankauer? Uh No. He, Which he, one is he's that? He's the one with like the knit cap who's always like... Oh, uh, yes. Okay, he, got it. Yeah. Every one of his articles starts off, or with a column starts off with some variation on, I know it's been a long time since I rapped at you, but, you know, things have been crazy. Mm-hmm. Every episode of More Than One Lesson kind of starts off like that. And I always think of Jim Ankauer that's, at the beginning of your episode. That's not true. Not <laughs> lately. Okay. Okay. Yeah. The most recent one about Crash, there was a three-week break instead of the usual two, and so I apologized for that. But yes, for, for about two years, <laughs> where where... I, I was like the last one to realize it's not going to be a weekly show. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. And I just kept apologizing to people for that. And then even I was just like, yeah, <laughs> it hasn't been a weekly show since like episode f- like six. Uh-huh. And we're on episode 20. Yeah, I think you can probably give that up and go ahead and say it's a, every three weeks or so. Right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that is something that I do. So sorry about that. I'm filled with guilt and uh, self-punishment. No, but this guy Josh has really got, uh, he's, he's really got your ship shape. Absolutely. Although he's not going to be there for the uh, Rachel Getting Married episode. It will be a uh, guest host. Oh. So. I mean, I'm sure it'll be a great guest host. It'll guest be host. all right. But I kind of miss the tyler solo episodes you can listen to the many sodes for that yeah that's true so okay all right uh this has gone on long enough it's gone on almost as long as inception <laughs> where where do i get off where do i get off complaining about the length of the dark Knight rises when we do over two hours every week almost yeah but you know what as opposed to like something like inception um but i'm saying it makes dark Knight rises is longer than inception is what I'm saying. oh how much longer i guess like a half hour at least 15 minutes okay i'm not sure yeah but that's the thing is you know we're too it makes sense to have two guys sit around talking for us 
right. two two and a half hours of people sitting around talking for Inception, not quite as uh, not quite as good. Yeah, at least we we didn't spend the last two hours and eighteen minutes telling you how the show works. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So on that, um, thank you for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.